All right, Heather? Question mark? Sure, we'll go with it. I feel like that's wrong. I can't remember. <laughs> it might be wrong. I can't remember. Uh, it might be wrong, actually. It might have been Yeah, me. I we'll think go- it is. I yeah, think it's it Jeff's turn. All right. We'll go with I. We'll go with I then. I. Did you pick the one letter I don't have anything for? And by Uh-oh. one letter, I mean just any of a bunch of letters I don't actually have anything for. Uh, all right. I'm going to spin this real quick. Uh, in some interesting Netflix news. There you go. The just in general panned movie that is Zack Snyder's rebel moon part one children of flames or whatever the fuck that movie's called. Uh, they decided that they are going to do a Snyder cut of it and also release a rated R version of it later because God forbid they just release a movie that is, you know, Zack Snyder's complete brainchild, you know, Healy wrote, directed, cast, all that shit. This movie. But no, they need a Snyder cut, too. What the fuck is this movie, then, if it's not a Snyder cut? Right. Because they have to just, you know, mimic the rousing uh, mediocrity that was Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. They have to do a rated R version of it, too. They've already announced they're going to do it. They just haven't announced when. They refuse to just accept it being a bad movie. Oh, and and, and the sad thing (laughs) is, is like everybody, like the cast and everybody, they're like in interviews. I'm like, oh, I really enjoyed this movie. You know, I hope you guys like it. But if you know, you're really going to like the rated R version. It's almost a completely different movie. What the fuck is going on? Then why make the other one? You know, because everybody's like, oh, just wait till you see the rated R cut. Okay, then make that the fucking movie. Yeah, that's an interesting tactic, I guess. And I know there's some people out there that are like, oh, but the Snyder cut was good. I don't give a shit if it was good or not. You know what it wasn't good enough to do? Keep Zack Snyder employed at DC. Everybody can bitch and complain about, oh, it's good, whatever. Not enough fucking people watched it. If that was the case, Aquaman 2 would be another movie in the DCEU of Zack Snyder's vision, and we'd be getting more of that shit. We're not. Why? Because they fired his ass, and they fired everybody else's asses that were involved in the Snyder universe, and they're moving the fuck on. Because it wasn't successful. So I don't know why they want to just mimic that. Like it's a good idea. I'm, I'm going to throw something out there. Maybe, just maybe. These studios and whatnots are overvaluing Zack Snyder. I mean, do you guys agree with that strategy? I think it's, yeah, like it's, uh, I don't like the strategy because I feel like, like it's a waste of time in a sense. Like it's just kind of like, 
it almost just feels like they're buying time too to be like, we wanted to put something out, but if it's not as good as you want it to be, we're going to fix it later. <laughs> like putting out the product before it's ready for use type of thing. You know, that's kind of just what it feels like. But um, I mean, I will say that and I haven't seen Rebel Moon, but um, Zack Snyder makes amazing like intros to movies. Didn't he do the... What was that uh, zombie movie with Dave Bautista? Yes, he did uh, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. That opening sequence was amazing. Like, I don't know. He's just very I good at drawing you in. do not remember it whatsoever. <laughs> it's one of the most memorable things about that movie to me. It's so good. I can't tell you a single thing that happens in it. I'm going to assume there's a zombie at least. Yeah, there's That's about like hordes of zombies. Yeah, all I can mm-hmm. remember from that is that uh, I remember the Watchmen opening because it's just scenes from the comics and stuff like that. Uh, I remember the opening to Dawn of the Dead, his remake of that, because uh, that was like a that Johnny Cash song and. It was just scenes of zombies attacking people. Uh, I I don't remember the intro of 300. I don't remember the intro to Sucker Punch. I don't remember the intro to Justice League. I don't remember the intro to Army of the Dead. I don't remember any of his other intros. I don't remember the intro to his movie he produced, Army of Thieves was the spinoff of army of or yeah of army of the dead it was supposed to be you know another franchise and all this other shit and nobody watched that shit either i mean that's the thing army of the dead was supposed to be its own like fucking franchise of shit nobody fucking watched it enough to fucking make anything out of it like why do we just keep giving this guy carte blanche to try to do franchises he's not successful at it and like i know that i feel like they were going for let's make a movie about the character that everybody loved from army of the dead, the, the thief, the, the safe thief guy. But I just feel like it flopped. Like well, it I, wasn't I agree interesting you, enough Heather, for people to watch it. Except for the fact that they had already been filming it by the time army of the dead came out. Oh, okay, it wasn't even okay. in response to that guy being popular. Oh, and they, they had already started okay. filming it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Like, I I mean, and he was one of the best parts about the movie, but it's also kind of like I sometimes suffer from the idea of like, I already know what is going to happen to you. And so I don't know that I care about the lead up as much as you want me to. (laughs) It depends on the character, probably, but you're just kind of like, oh, well, this is a bummer because I already know how this is going to end. So I don't know if I want to invest in a character that I know is not going to live. Like, you know what I mean? So that's just kind of how I am with certain characters. I get it. Justin, what about you? What are your thoughts on, on this whole Zack Snyder debacle? Um, well, it's hard for me to comment on rebel moon having not seen it. So, um, you know, I can't really get into if it's good or bad or if well, this cut will be better or not because I haven't seen the first movie to know really what was missing or if 
or why it's bad. So it's kind of hard to speak from it from that point. But what I can say well, about and, and to be fair, Zack I'm, Snyder, I'm not trying to actually get anybody to, to comment on Rebel Moon because I haven't seen it either. Uh, it's the strategy is what I'm talking about. Like what are like the feelings of the strategy of making two versions of the same movie every time just because it's a weird idea tied to him. You know what I mean? Like the Snyder. No, I get what idea. you're saying. Um, well, the thing about it is that in some respects, like if you look at just objectively what happened with the Snyder cut, well, well, I was one of the people that thought that just objectively the Snyder cut of the Justice League is better than the um, original Justice League movie, which I think is just really, 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 really bad, you know? And I think the thing about that Snyder cut was that it was something that got a buzz and there were fans clamoring for that. And with that whole story, it kind of felt like this whole thing of, Zack Snyder sort of being wronged and, you know, it was like his artistic vision that he had for the, for the movie wasn't true. He wasn't really truly able to get his artistic vision out there. And I think that was sort of how people felt when that whole story came out and his comments and everything like that. So I think that the reason why that worked with, the Justice League and was and why when that cut came out, it was a hot topic and people were watching it and it had a big buzz was because fans were clamoring for it. You know what I mean? It had kind of that story behind it and everybody kind of wanted to see Snyder get his comeuppance in that situation. You know, there were people that were kind of like, you know, that hashtag release the Snyder cut was a big thing. So I don't think that can be ignored. You know, I don't think that can be ignored how big that was and how compelling that was to fans, which is why we got the Snyder cut. What do you consider big? Because it it was fake. Most. What what part was fake? uh, Most of the aspects that were like released the Snyder cut and stuff like that were bots. I mean, oh. that's what I'm saying is it's, it's fake. Now, to say that there wasn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish the fact that there was one. I mean, somebody was out there creating bots to do it. But when it came down to it, financially speaking, when it came time to, like, get subscriptions to HBO Max and to watch the movie and stuff like that, it never actually translated to anything. You know what I mean? Like, how big can the the clamoring B if it didn't translate to anything that motivated HBO outside of that. Like, what are you saying exactly? So are you saying that nobody really watched it or are you saying that it didn't like, are you saying that because it didn't in some way, benefit the DCEU later in some way it 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 didn't benefit or are you saying that it didn't well like a lo- it didn't 
bring over a large number of subscribers? Like, w- what are we talking about now? And, and a lot of that. I mean, that's what I was saying earlier when I when I said oh. the mediocrity that was his movie. I wasn't even talking about the quality of it. I'm talking about it did not translate to sh- more accounts for HBO, which is why they're doing it. It did not translate to enough viewing hours because sometimes whenever a project is deemed slightly risky and they put it on streaming and just say it gets a ton of streams. Well, that doesn't technically make them a lot of money because, you know, subscribers do not technically views, but it is a good indicator of if we had put this out in theaters, it would have garnered X amount of box office, you know, plus or minus some, because, you know, some people are going to just watch it because they've already got a streaming service. So, you know, there is some margin of error in that thing. And this didn't do anything. Like when they compared the numbers of this, of, of, of the Zack Snyder cut to the numbers of people that went and watched the other one in theaters, the difference wasn't enough to where they would, the argument would be, this would have been a successful movie it still ended up falling into the range of not good enough. Even close, like it essentially fell in between what would have been box office wise, roughly between justice league and uh, Batman versus Superman, which is still not the number you want your justice league movie to do when Marvel puts out an Avengers and it gets a billion. You know what I mean? It still wasn't what they wanted. That, that you know, okay. and that's what I mean by that. You know, that's why I'm arguing that it's not. I just don't know why people would want to mimic that model. Because it's not successful. It wasn't even successful to HBO. They only paid an extra 70 million to get the Snyder cut out of, you know, what they had already spent, which was, they had already spent 300 million on justice league. They spent an additional 70 to do the Snyder cut. And it still would have been considered box office flop. If you adjusted the streaming numbers to box office. Interesting. Um, but even if it was making, if the cut version was still making somewhere within the ballpark of Batman versus Superman and Justice League, I mean, depending on how you look in that, that's kind of impressive for like a redoing of the same movie, that, but just more stuff or added plot or, you know, because it is a movie that people have already seen. So that I think depending on how you look at that, you know, maybe that's not so much a bad thing that it still would have gotten around those numbers, even though basically it's a redoing of the same movie that people have already seen. So, and then, you know, you've also got that thing of, well, had this been the original release, would it have done better? You know, you know, you, so you still got those lingering questions out there, I think. 
on it, you know, you know, and those are questions that nobody really will be able to answer. But I think regardless of that, it felt like that was a big thing when he finally got his cut and it, and it felt like there was some at least level of redemption in that he was able to get what was his original vision on screen that he wasn't able to get at the time. And because it garnered a story and because I think there were people that were into it, maybe that's what they're doing is they're looking at the buzz that was created from that and how generally people say the cut, the Snyder cut of justice league is better than the original justice league. So, you know, I think somebody is looking at all that, the narrative at the time, the, the, the fact that you got a bunch of people to rewatch justice league, like, cause I sure as hell wouldn't have been trying to watch, trying to rewatch justice league unless there, you know, there was a Snyder cut. So I think they're looking at that and going, well, maybe we can get people to rewatch this one. You know, maybe if we do this, if, if the same thing happens here, um, we could kind of garner a similar, uh, uh, a similar buzz like that did. And the only thing I can say to that is, uh, is, is anybody clamoring for a cut of this <laughs> rebel moon film? You know, I, I don't know. Whoa. I just, I'm not up on the, bu- on the buzz of rebel moon. So I just don't know if it's going to work the same because, To me, the Snyder Cut was a very organic thing. A lot of that was fans, and it was a reaction to what had happened, and it was a reaction to the the release and how bad Justice League was. You know, that was a very organic thing that kind of happened, and it led to us getting this other cut of a film. But this now feels like a marketing strategy. And sometimes you can't always replicate something that just organically happened because of fans and people and things like that. So that would be what I would say about it. Be weary of trying to replicate something that really just happened organically with the fans, with that Justice League Snyder cut. You're not going to always be able to just do it over again and sort of replicate that with the same success when organically the buildup wasn't the same, you know? Well, and that, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying is you're just artificially doing it. You're just doing it for the sake of mimicking what was already done. And I find it disingenuous to more or less have a Snyder cut of this movie, considering he wrote, directed and produced it. How much more of a cut of his, like, do you need of his? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's his why movie. not just make it that? Yeah. You know, like, and the thing is, is I don't know if people are clamoring for this or not. All I'm bringing up is the fact that, hey, I have not heard a single person talk about Rebel Moon and go, it was good. I'm looking forward to part two. Uh, but also, like I said, I'm basing that off, you know, the fact that, the cast and the director and all of these people just keep bringing up how much different of a movie 
the rated R cut is of Rebel Moon. You know, they're bringing that up like that's they're bringing it up in interviews to talk about the PG-13 version. To me, almost admitting it sucks. Just wait till you see the better version. But also, why are you filming that? Zack Snyder himself went on record saying he wrote and, 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 and did Rebel Moon to be a PG-13 movie. Why is there a rated R cut then? Why were you filming shit to be rated R if your intention was set out to make a PG-13 movie? There are very distinct differences between those types of movies that you're filming. So much so that they're saying that the plot is different in the rated R movie. So why are you filming plot points that you wrote? that are strictly rated R for what you set out to be a PG 13 movie from the beginning. It's madness. Yeah. The only thing I could speculate is, and and I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to assume all these people are lying. Maybe the R rated version will be better. I don't know. You got to, you know, with that possibility is, not off the table, but I don't know. Maybe this is a film style of his. Does he just film like, is it one of those things where he's one of those people where it's like, it's better to have too much than too little. So he just films it exactly the way he wants it. And then depending on advisors, depending on, you know, what the, the length of film needs to be depending on whatever politically affects what the film needs to be by the end. He cuts based on that. Does he just film? I don't know. Could it be just something that he does as a filmmaker? Maybe this is how he does things. Maybe he over, maybe he put, he films it all and then cuts where he feels like he has to, or maybe he films, Uh, You know, maybe he's like, I want to film an R-rated movie and then I will cut it to make it PG-13, which is a weird strategy. I don't know, but maybe this has something to do with his filmmaking style, you know. Well, it's also interesting, too, though, because it's called Rebel Moon Part 1 anyway. (laughs) So it's almost like. Oh, yeah, there's a part two coming out. Yeah, there's a whole part two as well. So what does that mean as well? Like. True. You know, if so the first gonna, if the first one's getting a whole new storyline, what does this mean for the part two? And like, why wasn't why wouldn't that be the the other storyline or the second part of it? Or I don't know how I, I it does feel it feels counterproductive to do a Snyder cut of a Snyder film. <laughs> so well, I don't know. Uh, but well, now you may you raise a good point though. And like, is there going to be a part two? Do you have to watch? Is the part two we're going to get just going to be the part two to the non Snyder cut part one? And we're going to have to wait for the Snyder cut part two to go with the Snyder cut part one. Yes. And it's going to be a whole part thing of years in between them or something. No. So this is uh, that's what I was going to get to real quick. So uh, part two comes out, I believe, in April, March or April or May, somewhere in there. Right. That's when part two comes out for Rebel Moon. Then the speculation is, because Netflix hasn't said when, other than we pretty much know it's this year. 
probably around July, you're going to get the Snyder cut or the rated R version or whatever the fuck you want to call it of rebel moon part one. And then in like September, October, you're going to get Snyder cut rebel moon part two because which the, the one smart thing they're doing, they don't want to release the Snyder cut of part one before part two, because then no one's going to watch part two. They'll just wait for the Snyder yeah, cut of it. Fair. If they actually like the Snyder cut of part one, they're just going to wait for Snyder cut part two instead there. No one will watch part two, the regular version. So they're making sure they release both of those before they release this other one. Um, well, yeah, no, you're, you're going to get a Snyder cut of that one too. To tie in with the plot points that they're cutting out of the other one that they're only going to be in the director's cut and all this other stuff. And I think from that point on, I think after this year, I think Netflix, if they're going to continue making it, because it's supposed to be a series. Rebel Moon is essentially supposed to be Zack Snyder's Star Wars. Technically, he wrote most of this to be a Star Wars movie, and it fell through. So he's now just, you know, changed the names of some people and made it a different thing. Uh, but yes, pretty much after 2023, we're going to know like Netflix will know if they're going to continue making these as rated R movies or PG 13. Cause I don't think either way they look at it. Is it going to be a viable model to release two versions of every fucking movie in this franchise? And plus right. it's on Netflix. So it's not like the movie's going to disappear. You know what I mean? Like they're going to, they're not going to lose the rights to Rebel Moon Part 1 yeah. before Rebel Moon Part 3 comes out. Or, you know, or Rebel Moon Number 3, I should say. You I'm not going mean? to lie. I did actually feel like... I did actually think it was a Star Wars-related movie. <laughs> but it would have come out on Disney if that was the case. Yeah. So. But. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's all kind of... But, but the funny thing is, is that I had no interest at all in seeing this. And now hearing about all this controversy, yeah. shoot, maybe this is the strategy. Now I at least have more interest than I originally did because I had zero. And now all of hearing all this, it's like, well, hell, is it going to be better? <laughs> I mean, well, see, now that's I'm the like, thing. Now, you got a 3% and, interest now. And, and, and Yeah, it's like it went to 3%. But to, but to them, if they can get you to rewatch, and that's kind of what I was saying about the Justice League. It's a win-win for them because they got you because you went to the theater and saw the original Justice League. And then this whole narrative started about this Snyder Cut. Then they knew you didn't care about the first Justice League. They knew there's no way you were going to rewatch that or re they could re-release that and get away with you watching it again. But the Snyder Cut, but enter the Snyder Cut narrative. And now we got this Snyder Cut and you got people to watch that movie that was terrible all over again because of this whole narrative of this different cut that is better. So I see what they're trying to do, but like I said, sometimes you can't rep replicate what is naturally, you, you know, what naturally happened with that justice league story. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, like I said, the funny thing is, is it's the cast that's like, man, you got to wait for that, that rated R cut while promoting this one. And so I'm just going, 
Okay, I'll wait then. I just won't watch the PG-13 cut because you're telling me it sucks and there's a better version that's going to come out. Was the Justice, was the Snyder cut, was it rated R? Yeah. Justice League? It was, right? Okay. Yeah. And I wonder if now that's just like calling it a Snyder cut now immediately draws people's attention and that's why they're doing it it, i mean well also you know it it helps when you have snyder himself with it but like also like why even keep making pg-13 movies bro like everything you do is a rated r movie also like you know what i mean if every movie you do is either rated r or you also have a rated r cut of it just make rated r movies then you made your name on doing rated r movies just do that Especially on Netflix. You know what I mean? It's on Netflix. It's not even like you have to worry about the box office numbers because it's rated R. No, just people going to stream shit. Who cares? Like, it's just a weird, weird philosophy to me. Yeah, but to me, it's just typical Hollywood. Well, oh, this thing was popular then. You're you're not maybe we can try to capitalize on it. And try to use it now. And since Zack Snyder right now is the director, he's the cut guy director because of all the buzz and the hype and the and the memorable event that was the Justice League Snyder cut. So now he's the cut guy. So now you can do this whole, oh, look, we got another cut of this movie he also did. It could be better. You know, Justice League was better. And that's all they're doing is they're just banking on that. They're just banking on people to watch it again and garner more interest because of that. Or maybe you'll watch both so that you can compare and decide for yourself if this is better than the other. It's just, you know, it's just that the typical thing of it worked back then. Maybe it'll work now. It's that's all we're doing. I get that. And I, you're you're not wrong, Justin, but that is typical Hollywood shit. But it's just, it's funny that it's like, oh yeah, we can mimic this thing from three years ago that also started, what, five years ago? And it'll be successful now. It's kind of like after the MCU took, what, four years to end up creating a shared universe? Everybody went, oh, my God, we need to do shared universes. And just no one at all has succeeded at that whatsoever. I mean, outside of uh, outside of technically Star Wars, but that's that's a that's a whole other entity within, uh, you know, within itself, like. It was technically already a universe. You know what I mean? It started with core movies and then everything spread from there. You know, they did Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, with them only tangentially being connected by a couple of characters that would maybe kind of appear back and forth. It wasn't until, you know, what, five, six movies in when you get the Avengers that all of a sudden it's a shared universe, like an actual shared universe. It's the characters are all there together. You're making a movie joining five other movies together. 
And yeah, so many people have tried. I mean, they tried to do that with The Mummy and Dracula, and they were going to do an Invisible Man movie and a Bride of Frankenstein movie. And remember how many of those came out? Two. Because technically Dracula Untold was like the secret beginning of all that. It was supposed to be tied into Tom Cruise's The Mummy. You were going to get that later at least. But yeah. I mean, DC, DC tried to do it with just the utmost of middling, potentially possibly success, if that. I mean, they released a lot of movies that were technically tied together. Most people didn't yeah. like most of them. And you got some series and, you know, Peacemaker and all that. So I don't know. You know, you you did get a lot of stuff out that I don't know. Would the next closest thing then be the monster verse? I mean, those movies are they making money still? I mean, I mean they kinda. have to, right? Because they because they are. I mean, they have to because they keep going. So you know, I mean, maybe that's the route to go. Is you just combine two franchises? Yeah. Don't don't try to <laughs> intertwine nine. <laughs> Just combine two and have, what, 40% of your movies just be them together. You introduce the two, and then you're like, yep, now you're together forever. We are never going to make a movie where you're both not fucking in it. Which kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like, one of the weirdest things in Aquaman 2, without being into spoilers, is just the sheer fact that, you know, Superman could have just, you know, saved the entire plot of the movie about 10 minutes in. But Superman's mysteriously not there. For no reason whatsoever, other than the fact that they just did not write him in the movie. But if this really was a shared universe because of the way the plot works, Superman would have just ended that movie 10 minutes in. It would have been like, hey, don't worry, Arthur. I solved the problem for you. All better. Done. And that that is the part That's of the problem true. with shared mm-hmm. universe movies is there are a lot of times where you're just like, but what about the 10 other characters that were in the last movie that should be down the street from where this movie is taking place and they're not there. Yeah. Even Marvel's run into that a few times when they're like, Oh, look at Dr. Strange tear up half of New York. And you're like, where are the other 27 superheroes we've seen that are based in New York? (laughs) Not in this movie. Like he probably went by Spider-Man's apartment building. In Multiverse of Madness, when he was fighting that with the Yogmoth or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and just, you know, Spidey's not going to swing in and just kick the guy in the eyeball or something. Yeah. The comics often have that problem, too. Yeah. That's why I like it when, when the characters kind of spread out. You know, while like Daredevil, you know, thematically fits New York, it made a lot of sense when he moved to San Francisco. Yeah, you know, there's not 90,000 other superheroes that could just 
act that actually have powers that could actually solve every problem you have. Yep. Like the funniest thing about Daredevil, and as much as I love him, Spider-Man, who lives about eight blocks away from him, could pretty much solve every problem Daredevil has ever. Yeah. And still solve all his own problems too. Because he's just that much more effective than a blind guy that is just a normal strength motherfucker that is just above, you know, with more agility. But it's not like Spider-Man doesn't have even more agility. Like everything Daredevil does, Spider-Man does about 27 times better. And lives down the street. I still love reading some Daredevil, though. It's fun. Because he fights ninjas. Spider-Man don't be fighting ninjas. Daredevil fights ninjas. It's the same with Moon Knight. Moon, like, his villains love blowing shit up. And I'm like, oh, so you're telling me Luke Cage wouldn't go to where all the shit's being blown up and just beat the fuck out of whoever's blowing shit up? Come on, get out of here. You know, and Luke Cage is invulnerable. Can solve a lot more problems real quick than Moon Knight can. Yep. And, and, and this newest run is very, it's very good. But at one point, Moon Knight's fighting an entire room of vampires. And it takes him and this other guy like a minute to beat all these vampires. And I'm like, come on, guys. Blade would have had this done in about 30 seconds. What are you guys doing? Get your shit together. We went hella off topic. But yep. Uh, real quick, let me let me burn through these other ones real quick. Uh, Blumhouse and Atomic Monster, which is James Wan's production company, joined together. They're merging into one production company. So Blumhouse mm. and Atomic Monster are one entity, and I don't know what they're going to call it, or if they're even changing a name or whatever. But yeah, they're now one company. It's not bad. Okay, I can get cool. on board with that. When it comes to horror, they. Between the both of them, they kind of produce some of the best shit. They also produce some of the worst shit. I, were they the, malignant or no? Yes, James Wan was malignant. Yeah. That was also the nun too. You know, Blumhouse has like uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. Wasn't that Blumhouse or was that A24? That I think actually was A24. What are some Blumhouse? Yeah, movies? I believe it was A24. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I know Blumhouse is doing the. Uh, what's it called? The movie uh, Swimmer or Night Swim or whatever. Um, OK, they did. They did Black Phone, Megan. The Invisible Man, the Purge movies, Insidious. They did Us. Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day 2. They did the... Wait, wait. Are those... No, hold on. This is all kinds of fucked up. Okay, ignore everything I just said. Because Google actually added something else into what I was doing and fucked it all up. Okay, well, uh, Blumhouse did Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a movie. Uh, Blumhouse also did uh, Exorcist Believer which was a movie. Uh, they did do Megan. Justin loves Megan. 
Blumhouse did Megan. Everybody loved Megan. Oh, I think they did Get Out, didn't they? Uh, yes. Blumhouse did Get Out. Nope. Us. Uh, they did Black Klansman. Uh, they did Freaky. Freaky is a very good movie. Uh, they did one of Heather's favorite movies in Glass. Which also means they did Split, which is actually one of my favorite movies. <laughs> they did do Split. They did uh, the Paranormal Activity movies. They did all the Insidious movies. They did the new Halloween movies. Yeah, they've put some, I mean, yeah, they are hit or miss still, but they do put out some good things. They weirdly did Whiplash. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Did they also end up doing La La Land? No, they did not. Um, I mean, the fact that they got the Jordan Peele movies under their belt and they got the Happy Death Days under their belt. And honestly, at least the 2018 Halloween, <laughs> I'll say something for that, you know. Yep, Big Megan. Don't forget about Big Megs. <laughs> Big Megs. Megs. Well, you can't, you can't say Megs, Justin, because there is a movie Meg. So. <laughs> say Megs with the S, though. Well, the, you, you know could, who Big you Megs could, is. You, you know say, who Megs is. You could also call Megs two Megs because there's like five Megs in it or whatever. So, all right, Sterling, she's gonna hip row and cut your head off. Uh, she ain't gonna cut shit off because that bitch didn't kill anyone. She killed like three people. I ain't scared of a bitch to kill three people. Well, she it didn't start because it was just the origin. Wait Gotta be at least five for Sterling to be wait, afraid. Wait till the second one. Ooh, she's gonna kill four in that one, Justin. Ooh. She might get a sister. Wait till Megan's comes out. Megan's. Yeah, right. Because she killed the little boy, the old lady the, next door, or the the woman next door, and I think yeah, the boss what? and her dog. Yeah, and the and the boss, and then the boss's assistant guy. That was oh, also. I'm sorry. She killed four people. Still not fucking scared. What she killed was it, Heather. She killed it, and that's I why. I see what you did there. That was the good. Made so much money, you know, because <laughs> my girl's a queen. Because wait Megan's the a next queen. movie. <laughs> wait, wait till the next movie when it's Megan's. She's probably gonna get a sister or something. Yeah, but Justin, I'm not Tracy. I'm not, you know, an it. I'm a person, so I'm not scared if she kills it. And I think the second movie is called Megan 2.0, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah, Megan 2.0. See, so it's not even going to be Megan's. It's just going to be a slightly improved Megan. That might you also don't know. Have, have we have, have we bought the ticket, Sterling? Have we seen have we seen the film yet? We don't know what's going to happen when we get up in there, Sterling. I don't give a shit. Do you have the script? Do you have the script in your lap? No. So we could get in there, and there could be Megan's. That's I'm still not saying, scared, Justin. I can beat up. A robot doll. I ain't scared. Not that one, man. She was. She knows gymnastics. I, I don't mean, give a fuck. I know. I know. Stirring. Beat up a robot. You tripping stuff? You just barely started working out. Now you think you can beat Megan? Come on now. Yeah. 
Come on now, watch the movie again. You can't, you can't hang with Megan. Especially, with Megan. give me, give me about a year because it's going to be about a year till that movie comes <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> okay, maybe in a year, maybe in a year, I'd be like, okay, maybe Sterling yeah. could hang. I ain't scared. I ain't scared now. <laughs> But I don't know that 2.0, you know, she going to have updates now. Yeah. There's no but telling what happens what, with it's updates. There's no, no telling what her iOS is going to be in this one. Man. Yeah. But also <laughs> with, with updates, there's also a bunch of bugs and shit. She might go to punch me and her arm falls off. I ain't scared. Going to tell me the company that just produces <laughs> murder dolls has great quality assurance. I ain't scared. <laughs> Sterling's trying to have more beef with Megan than Chucky did. I know. Yeah, man. Sterling's trying to. Sterling out here right now. See, just I'm scared here. of Chucky because there's demonic black magic behind that fucker. I ain't scared of technology. That, that's overrated. Demonic black magic gets beat all the time. It's overrated. Yeah, but so technology. does technology. That gets beat all <laughs> the time, Megan, too. For Megan. Megan hangs around, man. Megan knows it all. But that's the thing, Justin, is she doesn't hang around. She dead. Nuh-uh. I you, think Justin is supposed to hang out with Megan. To be you fair, Justin, I film? don't actually remember the end of the movie, so. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, Justin just wants to hang with Megan. That's okay. No, Megan's, Megan's chilling right now. Okay. Was she, like, in a in a camera or something? In a teddy bear? Yeah, she was in some. I think it was a camera. Wasn't it a camera? It was something. You know what I'm really not she scared had, of? A she camera. She uploaded her, uploaded her consciousness in it. Yeah, she to the probably, Alexa yeah. type thing that the girl had in her house. Yeah. So. Ooh, I'm definitely not scared of a little fucking box that just sits there. Ain't scared of that shit. That's not the 2.0. She just, that was the 1.0, just uploaded her consciousness into something. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what the 2, we'll see what 2 is. You know what I'm not scared of? I can't wait to see the upgrade. consciousness. Ain't scared of that shit. Man, I can't wait to see the upgrade. Can, Can you imagine her upgrades? Can you imagine? It better be a lot. It better be a lot of killing shit. They need to upgrade that body count. Or I ain't going to care. That was pretty good. Maybe, but I don't know. She needs to kill at least 15 people in this next movie for me to start giving a fuck. It's a lot of scary movies, though, with body counts and they're not good. I don't know how much that. Yeah, but sometimes it adds to, to film it, quality. Uh, yeah, it can. There was the, the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out just straight to a streaming service. I don't even remember which one. It's a terrible fucking movie. But at one point, Leatherface gets on a party bus full of people and just starts like just walking down the middle aisle, chainsawing the fuck out of an entire bus full of people. It's yeah, terrible movie. Delightful fucking scene. Why? Because of the body yeah. count. It was so many, so many people. Windows were just red. Oh, yeah. It was, it was so oh. many people. Oh, terrible movie. But <laughs> they just glorious stood there scene. like, oh, no, I'm pretty <laughs> much. They just kind of stood there. That's they what, were oh, trapped no. on the bus. 
Oh, You're no, trapped on the bus. Saw. Yeah, because they were like, uh, like because the, the movie did that terrible thing, but they're like, oh, millennials, we don't know what we're doing, and getting chainsawed. Yeah, but it was While still like really recording cool. it. <laughs> it was still yeah. really cool though, Justin. He's just like walking down a bus, just going murder, 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 murder. I'll have to uh, see if I can find that scene. I'm sure it's on YouTube. It would it would take Megan seven movies at her current pace to equal the body count he had in a scene. Just saying. And it wasn't like he wasn't hands on with it. It wasn't like he just blew some people up or shot like or like, you know, mowed him down with a minigun or something. No, he had his chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. But but he can't dance or sing covers. So I don't know. Well, why know, can't can he dance, Justin? Why are you? He just doesn't because, look like much of a dancer. Because he's got a leather face. Are you saying leather faced people can't dance? Well, he's got his hands occupied. He's a chainsaw. He just likes the chainsaw too much. Yeah, you know, but did you not see the end going. of the original Texas you know, Chainsaw? You can't. Where he's, he's holding the chainsaw in the air and he's more or less doing a street dance. <laughs> Well, he was kind of running or something, but I don't know. I don't know if you call that dancing. Who are you? The pl- are like you the dance? He police? likes to pretty much for him. It's yes, like a frolic. he likes to use. He he just has. He's just occupied doing other things, Sterling. That's okay. Oh, didn't he, to, who who didn't made he, you the the dance Gestapo? Why are you? I'm just saying. Why are you okay the judge? He prefers of dancing. Why are you judge jury executioner of dance moves? If that's how his body was moved to move, let that man move. <laughs> Look, how did we get I'm here, saying, guys? <laughs> I don't know how we got here either. Uh, hopefully we, we leave soon. But uh, all I'm saying is that if he prefers to just chainsaw people and swing the chainsaw around, then the swing, you know, then the shake the body, that is his prerogative, Sterling. And we got to let him have that. <laughs> Justin, what was a you very know? popular dance style in the early 20th century. Would that be swing dance? He was swing dancing with the chainsaw. <laughs> Although, didn't he also like accidentally cut himself with the chainsaw in the first movie? In the original? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it's like been he. It's a very like, long time since he, I've like, watched He like ran into somebody I thought and then like while he was trying to get somebody he like cut his own leg or something. I feel like I could be misremembering that, but. Justin, you are he, picking he on an injured Megan, person. Megan would have just, you know, Megan would have just hip rolled and not cut herself. You know, but Justin, when, when, when Megan got injured, she wasn't dancing either. Not then. Yeah, that's what but I'm saying, though. But, like, some, but she can still do some covers, and, but she can do song covers, too. You know, have you ever heard? Have you ever gone karaoke singing with Leatherface? He could have the voice of an angel. I mean, he could, but he but he kind of sounds like a tenor style. He's or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's just not really much coming from him. Justin, you like Metallica? I bet he sings Metallica amazingly. You sounded just like James Hetfield there, and I'm sure he does too. <laughs> nah, nah, they're in the rock and roll. They're Hall of Famers. Okay, Man, he'd, have, he'd have to sing great, to sing like them. And I bet he could. I I believe in him. I'm not willing to write him off as a human being just because he's got a leather face. Well, I'm glad somebody loves him. 
He kind of old news, though. You know, Megan is today. You know what I mean? Megan is right now. Man, Megan was a year ago. Megan ain't shit. Megan coming for you, though. In a year. I, feel like, I ain't scared. I feel like you guys are, like, arguing two very different things. Because <laughs> I think Jazz just wants to hang out with Megan. And I think Sterling just tried yep. to say Megan's not scary. <laughs> I want to fight her. Justin wants to hang out and I want to fight her. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you're both just, yeah, you're, you're arguing valid points for the, the argument you're trying to have, but yep. it's not the same argument. <laughs> In our own heads. <laughs> like, I think it's not funny because it, it's weirdly the same thing like me with like Taylor Swift. Everybody's like, oh, like, do you, is like, no, I just wanted to be Taylor Swift's best friend. Like, that's Taylor all Swift is your Megan. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I want to be best, best friends with her, too. So I get it. Now, Kelly Clarkson, that's a whole other story. But with Taylor, I just want to be best friends with Taylor. That's all. Should be a fun time. Yeah. Go to a Kansas City Chiefs, Tennessee Titans game. I'd be fun. A couple of besties at a football yeah. game. Yeah, that's your jam right there. It's like we're besties, but we're rivals, but we're besties. Like you and Justin. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be like whenever I went to the Cowboys game with you. You remember that? Like when the Titans beat the fuck out of the Cowboys? That was great. You remember that? I remember that. Yuck. I don't know. Like being friends with Taylor Swift, I don't know. But if you were friends with like, I don't know, let me just, let's just say you were friends with the Barefoot Contessa. Just imagine it like all of the great food you could have. Justin, if but it, the Barefoot Contessa is a bad person. Is she? Yeah. She didn't repent or something? Well, she tried to, but it still didn't look good. So there was a kid with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, you know, dying kid. Oh, God. And he no, was like, tell the rest. he was like, my wish <laughs> is to just cook with the Barefoot Contessa. And she was like, nah. And they kept trying. She just kept saying, nah. And eventually he was like, all right, and changed his wish to do something. But the story broke that the barefoot Contessa was just like blowing off a dying kid's only wish. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know who that is. uh, Ina something on the Food Network. Oh, okay. And uh, how do you not know barefoot? You don't know barefoot? But then... So then the news broke and everybody's like, wow, that's a really shitty thing of you to do. You couldn't just cook with this dying kid. And she's like, oh, nah, I would love to. There's nothing more I want to do in the world. And at that point, that kid's like, nah, fuck you. <laughs> Dang. Did she not know it was a dying kid at first? Well, when the Make-A-Wish Foundation calls you, there's not too yeah, many things that could be. They're the ones that called you. It doesn't, Yeah. Was she busy? Like, what, what was her schedule like back then? Justin, if she's filming a cooking show, just let him be the guest on the show. It, you get ratings and a good story and he gets his wish. It's not that hard. That's she terrible. Didn't, oh, she no. didn't even have a good reason. Come on, Barefoot. She I don't even, even think Sterling reason. would do that to a kid. <laughs> yeah, but if she I did that a to a reason. kid, it's on brand. Like, if a kid wants their dying wish to be something related to me... It'd be me telling them to fuck off. Because and that's what they would want. If exactly. To hang with you. If you're, asking, if you're asking anything from me and you're a dying kid, it's for me to tell you to fuck off. You know what I mean? I, and she didn't explain why 
She just was like, she just did not. She just wasn't Man, comfortable. And it's probably because she didn't give a fuck until it got her bad press. I mean, that's why. It's not a mystery. I mean, do you can possibly give her a small amount of plausible deniability because very rarely are they going to reach directly to her. It's going to be a publicist or an agent or somebody, you know, very rarely is it directly to the person, but still those are the people you hired to handle your business and to speak on your behalf is just to tell some poor sick kid. Nah, bro, you can't just watch me cook. You got to go onto your television set and watch me on the Food Network. I can't be bothered. There you go, Jasmine. Wow. That's that's your friend, Barefoot Contessa. Man, she's such a good cook. Well, if I was her friend, she wouldn't do me that way. Maybe not. Ina Garten. She, that's the Barefoot Contessa. You never seen that show, Heather? I have not. You're weirdly not way into Barefoot Contessa. <laughs> I've never seen a cook. Food Network show, so no. Oh, never? Okay. Never? So you never saw some original so. 30 minute meals with Rachel Ray? No, I never did. Or you didn't see Bobby Flay making other people's food and shit? No. Or Chef Morimoto. I mean, I know, I know the references, like of who these people are, but I've never actually specifically watched them. I really like Chef Michael Simon. Uh, he was on Iron Chef. Uh, mm. Was also on that uh, Selena Gomez cooking show. He did, he did an episode of that with her, and she was all, "I've got lupus," and he was like, "Me too." He's cooking. Oh. He's Food Network. See, Ellie, you got to get with the times now. You need to know who some barefoot is. You need to know who these people well, are. To they be fair, food. if you go to, on the Food they, Network they right now, food. I don't think you're going to see Barefoot Contessa. I don't think it's still on the Food Network. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, is it even still on there? I mean, so <laughs> I was about to say, don't look, Heather, don't look. Yeah, d- don't, I don't, even know. don't get with the times and watch Food Network now because you're still not going to get Jastin's you know, mid 2000s food network reference. <laughs> there's not even just a, a Contessa that wears shoes. I mean, there's just no Contessa. I think there's no Contessas on the food network these days. Does she have her own empire now or something? Is it like the Contessa network or something? No, nah, it's no? probably fucked him kids network. <laughs> Who else would be on that? There were 28 seasons of the Barefoot Contessa. Yeah. You can watch it on YouTube. And Hulu. Oh, that's if you have premium subscriptions. But you can watch it on YouTube, Heather. You can go and watch some Barefoot Contessa. (laughs) Okay, she might good have re- to know. Actually, she oh, might hey. have retired, huh? Because she was, what, in no, the 50s when she was doing the show? Uh, Justin, May 5th, 2023, she announced she's coming back to uh, Food Network. Uh-oh. 
They haven't. There, there hasn't been an episode of Barefoot Contessa since 2021. So okay, so see, so it hasn't been that long. Just a couple of years. She's been off the. Is she coming know, back? She's coming back, Justin. Honing her skills, honing her skills, training. I don't know how cooks train. What do they do? Do they, they cook? I mean, I'm doing. I'm doing. I don't know what they do. <laughs> Let me try. Let me I'm telling stop. you, Justin. They cook. That's what. That's what chefs do to train. They cook. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just gotta cook shit. Okay. Okay. Because like so the, not, you're not training, this, not you're, what I'm you're training to make a recipe, right? So you got to like keep trying different things in the recipe till you come up with the recipe, right? So that that's the training, that's the practice. It's a lot like science, huh? Kind, kind of. of trying different things. Yeah, I mean, well, it hey, is. She's coming back. It is technically you know? science. You know, because it, there it's it's a decent amount of chemistry. I mean, you know, you're putting in certain spices to get certain reactions, this that seasonings, and this and that. And you're cooking in different ways to get mm-hmm. X result. It is a science. Baking, baking, sorry. even more so, because you have to use very specific measurements in baking to get very specific outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to use too much baking soda or too much baking powder. Those cause different chemical reactions that cause different things in your cooking. And sometimes you try things and you may have a hypothesis of how you think it might turn out. And, you know, but you know, until you. I found out. Do it. When you're making your you own know. recipes. The time to like toy around with it is not when you're making it for a bunch of people or for a holiday. I mean, sometimes you luck out like my ass. Cause like a previous episode, I was like, Oh, I'm making a brisket for my family's Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm making one of the entrees. I don't know why my ass decided to try something with a brisket that I've never done before. I lucked out. It was good. But afterwards when I'm making it, I'm like, like when it's in the oven and it's too late to do a damn thing about it, it's in the oven. I'm like, why did I decide for a Thanksgiving entree to change it up? I mean, I lucked out. Like I said, I lucked out. Everybody liked it. But I was like, man, that is the wrong time to go. Let me experiment a little for Thanksgiving. You know, when you experiment with that shit, Labor Day. We need to when fucking talk about it. this movie. Yes, we do. Yeah, probably so. See, this is what happens when we do two episodes in one week and we skip an intro. We do an extra intro in the next one. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we're going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the 2023 version of the movie 
the color purple. We will go rec- uh, we will go spoiler free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require. With all that, Heather, what are your thoughts? Your spoiler free thoughts about the color purple? Yeah, I. In a nutshell, I really you know enjoyed the film. I thought it was really good. I did. I have seen the original one as well, the the one with Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah. Um, I have seen that one. It has been a little bit since I've seen it, so I feel like I don't quite remember some of the things that happened in it. Or watching this one reminded me of certain things that happened in that one. But I do remember enjoying this one more. Like I, I, I remember enough about it to know that I enjoyed this one more. And of course it could also be because there was singing and it was amazing singing. And I feel like they casted the best singers you could possibly ever think of in this movie all at the same time and excellent performances. There were a couple of standouts for me in this. Um, but I think the only thing, I mean, I guess my, again, like my biggest complaint with the movie would probably most likely be that it did feel like it was ending like three or four different times. <laughs> like when it's happening, you're just like, Oh, is this the end? Oh, is this the end? Like that kind of thing. But uh, overall, like I enjoyed the songs. I enjoyed the singing. I enjoyed, you know, the actual story behind it was uh, an interesting story and the performances. I mean, you, you got to have some like really raw vulnerable performances in this movie for sure. And I think that they nailed that. Um, never seen Fantasia in anything before in my life. She nailed it. In my opinion, I think she was great. I think she did a wonderful job. I do know she can sing. I remember her from, I think it was American Idol. She was on, but she was wonderful. I loved her voice. Then I love it. Now people that I didn't know could really sing. Um, are apparently incredible singers, according to this movie. <laughs> um, I think it's Danielle Brooks who plays Sophia, who is amazing in this. I have I didn't know Taraji P. Hinton could sing because I've never seen a movie where she sang. Yeah, so just a lot of people that I'm just like, wow, they are all just so incredibly casted. Uh, I'm a big fan of Corey Hawkins, who plays Harpo in this. I, I've liked him in any role I've really seen him in. He's not always like a major role, but he always is just, I really enjoy him specifically usually in things I've seen him in and he has a fantastic voice. And yeah, so I just, I feel like, I mean, and Coleman Domingo, like uh, everything that man does is gold. I think he's great. So yeah, I just think that they, this has to be one of the best casted movies that I've ever seen. Um, you know, like, and, and yeah, the songs are great. Yeah. I think, uh, overall it was a really enjoyable experience and yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely one of those where you don't necessarily have to have seen the original movie to enjoy this one. Um, and I know that there's a Broadway show of this too. And I, I imagine that obviously these songs and suffer from that, I don't know which story, if it's like the same exact story as the Broadway show or not. But in either case, I liked the way that they told the story of this in this musical version of it more than I 
enjoyed it, I guess, in the original one, which is no knock on that because obviously amazing acting and storytelling there too. But preference wise, I just really enjoyed this one a lot more. So yeah, I thought it was really good. Justin, what about you? Yeah, so much like you, I haven't seen the original Color Purple in a long time. And I was hoping that I could either watch it before I watched this one or after I watched this one. And that movie is two and a half hours long. So I just never found the two and a half hours (laughs) to do that just with Christmas and holidays and then uh, the other movies we had to review. So it just didn't work out because I really wanted to get on here and kind of speak to some of the differences. But, um, but, but I think the best thing I can say is that I do remember the, the one from 85, I believe being really good. You know, I remember enjoying that. I remember Whoopi Goldberg and, um, Danny Glover and, you know, I I remember liking that movie. Um, And I also remember just also this um, kind of whole thing about how there were people that are bitter towards that movie, though, and they thought that it was a bit too, they they felt like it was anti-black male. Um, and two pro, um, I guess female the other way. And I don't know. I never felt like that, but I, but that was a sentiment that I heard. And I, and the only reason why I'm saying that is because there are definitely some changes made to this movie and some redemptive arcs where, I was wondering if there was any point in this where maybe a person who felt that way about 85 could maybe argue the same things about this. And I think that this was different enough and the story has some redemptive arcs to where I just don't think if you felt that way about the original film, you would feel that way about this one. Um, I think I could at least say that like there are similar things that happen with the 85 film, but then there are a lot of, there are some differences and there are some things that they do with the characters that I think brings some levity to it all, which, you know, but at the same time, you might argue that this one is much lighter because of that. Like the 85 version of this film is like, was really heavy and, I mean, there was a lot of abuse and it was, you know, just very dark and I think heavy is the best word I could say. Just very dark. It was kind of heavy. It was very like dramatic, traumatic and sad almost at some points in that first movie. You know, that that was hard. That one was a lot more harsh than this. This is definitely lighter in tone. Um, Now, there are definitely some dramatic and some hard things that still happen in this, but I think because of the nature of it being a musical, it couldn't go as heavy like the original one could 
because of the nature of it being a musical. So, you know, is that a strength or a weakness? That may just be in how you interpret or how you enjoyed this film, you know. But I think it's at least worth saying. It was just something that I did kind of notice about it. But looking at the film overall, um, much like you, Heather, I really enjoyed the 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 singing. The cinematography is great, very colorful sets where we were. Um, it felt like maybe you were. It felt like you were watching a Broadway musical at times with just the set pieces and where we were and stuff like that. I think that, you know, not as expertly done as something like Chicago, which is just like the epitome of doing that shit. But there were times where I think this did come close, where it felt like maybe I was watching a live action Broadway of this. You know, there were times in set pieces and dance numbers and choreography that was all well done here. You know, it's got some visually splendid scenes in it. Um, and and yeah, the cast here and, and the acting is is great from pretty much everybody. Um, Fantasia surprised me too. You know, I've like you, I've always known that she could sing, but I didn't know how good or bad or, you know, I, I don't know how to rate her acting, but man, she was up. She was in this movie with some heavy hitters and she held her own. And that's, uh, and I think that that's like, a great compliment I can give her. Now, unfortunately, the heavy hitters probably do stand out more than her in this film. Like, if you ask me, Daniel Brooks and Taraji P. Henson, I mean... They stole the show, for sure. They they stole the show. And, I mean, I think, you know, if I had to give the trophy to someone, it'd probably be Taraji, but you could probably argue that Danielle Brooks, if somebody said, no, I thought Danielle Brooks was the best, I probably couldn't argue with that either. She had some great, just excellent scenes, but she's always good. I mean, ever since I first started seeing her as uh, Tasty and Orange is the New Black, I liked that actress. And so I, you know, I ever since that series, I really kind of like that actress, and you know, usually she is not the problem in a film, even if she's in a film that I don't like that much. So she always does a great job. But Taraji P. Henson was just everything in this. I thought, like, just she's just. And is this character, this Suge Avery character, I mean, there were times where she was just absolutely like gorgeous as this character. There were times where visually just her charisma and her acting and the way that she sang and the way that she sort of carried herself, she just added some much needed like light and color to this. Like anytime she was on screen, it just felt like that shit was lighting up and it's nothing I can really explain, but 
she just has a screen presence that I felt was stronger than everybody here. And there were, and everybody did well, but man, she just really stood out to me in this movie. Like I felt like that she, now she's been in a lot of stuff and she's had some very good performances. You know, Taraji is, is a good actress. She's been in some good stuff, but I think this might be one of her best movies as far as just sharing the 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 floor with this with this cast and then what she added to this movie um she as a supporting character or is she a supporting character I'm pretty sure I think she is a supporting character right like yeah I would say that she's supporting yeah so but I think what she added to this as a supporting character was just was just great. It feels like if she's not in this doing her thing, I, I I just think a big part of what made this movie good would be missing. If she was not there, if she was not playing this Suge Avery character and could other people have played it? Maybe, but I just thought she was great. Um, and yeah, um, Coleman Domingo, who plays Mr. in this, he was great too. I thought that he did a great job as the opposition to Fantasia, and I thought he nailed the kind of this very abusive, vindictive man. And, you, you know, he was everything that that kind of the, the he he pretty much embodied what Danny Glover was in that 1985 movie so i thought he did a well enough job um with everything too and him and Fantasia have a lot of scenes together and i think that in those scenes they nailed a lot of what you were supposed to feel for her in those scenes whenever she was dealing with mister so I think all of that is good too. So yeah, I, I think overall th- this is a good film. This is a good musical. I would just say that the flaw is is that it couldn't hit as hard or be as heavy as the original film. And I'm I am sorry for those sounds. My TV just suddenly came on and is trying to record my voice. I am so sorry about that. Stupid smart TVs. Oh my God, stop. Hold on. Well, well, let me just wrap up and then I'll let you go, Sterling. I am so sorry. Okay, it turned off. Oh my God. Why did that happen? Anyway, um, man, I forgot where I was. Oh yeah, so the flaw, so I think that like, it couldn't really dig where the original movie dug because I think by nature of it being a musical, anytime it got really heavy or anytime it, it, it we could do a deep dive into the real dramatic stuff and that stuff needed to sit and kind of register more and be more impactful to the characters I felt like we couldn't really because we had to sing, you know, or we have to do a number or this next number had to happen. So 
I don't think it, it it could, by nature of what it is, go to the places that the original could. But overall, and, and, and you know, and, and like I said, maybe that's a flaw depending on who it is looking at it. But I saw it as a flaw because this story is a heavy one. It's meant to kind of pull at you. It's meant to kind of make you go, damn, man. You know, it's meant to be sad and tragic so that when, and then be triumphant at the end, that's kind of what it is. So it's weird to say, I wish it could have been sadder and I wish it could have been heavier like the original, but I don't know. I couldn't help but feel that way um, when it was all over. But overall, I, I did enjoy the film, and it is a very good, solid musical. I'm kind of in the same realm as you guys. It's been a very, 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 very long time since I had seen The Color Purple. Uh so much so that there were parts of this that felt completely brand new. And then there were a few things that like, were, you know, really iconic. I mean, send a spoiler. There's, there's a shaving scene from the color purple. And I didn't even directly remember it was from the color purple until it's happening in this. And it, it just clicked right away. I'm like, well, yeah, that shaving scene. Like, I I know that scene. Like, you remember that scene. Like, it's a weirdly memorable, iconic scene. And it just the second it happens in this, it clicked. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that scene. I know this part. Uh, the music was very good. Uh, I really enjoyed that. The cinematography, I really liked how bright the colors were. They do some scenes where they kind of, superimpose a, a sister going to Africa over the beach in Georgia. And it's a really, really beautiful scene. I really liked the way that they edited that together in those instances. Uh, you know, there's, there's some uncomfortable thematic elements in this movie, you know, not, not the best of things to, always kind of want to watch. Um, but this movie does a very good job of, you know, making those moments uncomfortable, but not making the whole movie uncomfortable. Like the moments that should be uncomfortable and should be unnerving are, but the whole movie isn't because the movie doesn't want you to focus on just that. And I, 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 I enjoyed the way this movie was able to, you know, tell tough, hard stories, but also keep the parts that were meant to be uplifting, uplifting. And the parts that were supposed to be sad were sad. Like, I, I, I like that, you know, this movie was actually able to do that because that's not always the case in a lot of movies. A lot of movies can't actually shift between those emotional thematic elements. They try to. They say they do. That doesn't mean they actually do it. So... I appreciated that with this movie. Um, yeah, Fantasia was really good. Uh, fuck, I already forgot her name. The, the the woman from Orange is the New Black, the Justin you brought up. Um, 
Danielle Brooks. Brooks. Yes. She was fantastic. One of my favorite characters and actors in this movie. There's a scene at like a, a dinner table later in this movie. Oh, it's fucking great. And she's Perfection. the one that makes that fucking scene happen. You know, now that might be the best scene of the movie. Oh, it is. Or one of them. It's the, perfect. Yeah. The way it's done is so perfect. But especially yeah. her acting with it. Yeah. Yeah. Starting one way and ending the scene on a completely different emotional beat. But you see the change throughout the scene happen. Oh, it's, she's fucking great. She's hands down my favorite character in this. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I cannot remember a single fucking actors in this name, like name in this movie outside of Fantasia and uh, Taraji P. Henson, which I knew she could sing because I've seen Hustle and Flow. Mm. You know, she only sings on a song that won an Academy Award for Best Song, Heather. Oh, did it? Oh, man. Yeah. How did I forget that? That's why three, six mafia weirdly are Academy Award winners. <laughs> I see. Okay. Hey, it's hard out here for a pimp. It's a great fucking song. <laughs> she was great on it. She was. But yes, that's how I knew she could sing is my first. I. That's the first movie I remember seeing her in. Was Hustle and Flow. I might have seen other movies before that with her in it, but that's the first one I remember. Like, I remembered her in that movie. Yeah. Fucking great. She just has a presence about her in anything she's in. Like, oh she God. just brings an energy. Like, I I love her. And I think that she's a beautiful woman, and I think she's in her 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, I could not remember that that movie Hustle and Flow came out in fucking 2005. Fuck me. Taraji P. Henson is 53 years old, guys. This is crazy. Um, that doesn't wow. surprise me, but she looks amazing. Uh, she was also on an episode of Murder, She Wrote, but it was one of the very late episodes of Murder, She Wrote, so it does not surprise me that I do not remember that. She was on an episode of Smart Guy, or at least some episodes of Smart Guy, and Sister, Sister. So she's in Abbott elementary for an episode. Yeah. She's just done a lot of stuff. I was, I mean, and I was just bringing up, I was bringing up the stuff that she was in before hustle and flow. It was just like TV appearances here and there. She was in the movie baby oh, boy. Okay. I don't remember the movie baby boy. I know I've seen the movie baby boy. Don't remember that movie at all. I don't either. I've seen it too. I, I don't remember it because I don't think I liked it that much. <laughs> That's why I don't remember it. That's Tyreek, right? Or Tyrese. I'm yeah. sorry. Tyrese. Tyrese. Yeah, Tyrese Gibson. From, uh, you know, Fast and Furious fame. And, oh, what was that movie that you yeah. played a cop? Uh, wasn't that Venom? Or Venom 2 or whatever? Carnage. Listen. Yeah. yeah. Most useless fucking character ever. Just random cop guy. But anyway. Um, but yeah. Oh, fuck. I, you know, I did all this so I could look up other actors. And then you got me thinking about other things Faraj P. Henson was in. And I forgot to actually fucking look at actors. Uh, Coleman Domingo. He was fucking fantastic in this movie. Um, yeah. Corey Hawkins fucking fantastic in this movie. Uh, 
Felicia Pearl. Oh, I do not know how to say that last name. Papsy? Mimpapsy? I don't know. Young Cece. Or I'm sorry, Young Seely. She was fucking great. Uh, Halle Berry. Haley? Halle? Bailey. Yeah. Halle Bailey. Yeah. Did I say Berry? You did. Fuck. See, it's, <laughs> it's the same too thing. close. It's, it's too the close. Same yeah. thing from fucking Little Mermaid. Their names are way too close. <laughs> it's going to fuck me up. Uh, yeah. Her. She was great. David Allen Greer was great. Uh, the little bit you get of Dion Cole was great. I oh, I love right. Dion Cole. And I, I do was, too. I forgot about him. He was playing an abysmal character in this movie, but I still the weirdly wanted he a little so more because well. yeah. I love Dion Cole. And there's some like rumors going on that Dion Cole might play Shonuff in a Last Dragon remake. I'm here for it. I cannot think of anybody better than him. Especially if you've seen that blackish episode where he's dressed like him for Halloween and it, oh, he yeah. looks exactly like yeah. him. It's oh. so funny. Yeah. That's cool. And he can get the intensity of it. And he, that man is With jacked too. Yeah. Yeah. Like the man is made of marble. Like it's fucking insane how jacked that man is. Uh, and also, you know, it was, it was great to see Louis Gossett Jr. Yep. I didn't realize that's who that was. You're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was old Louis Gossett Jr. You know, I hadn't seen him in a minute. I do want to say, just because what you said right now somehow reminded me of this, but I guess maybe that might be one of my other, like, slight issues with this movie is the fact that you get great voices but they get very little time. Like you have the musician, her in this movie and like, how are you going to have her not sing as much as she possibly can? It was very strange, but yeah, that just reminded me of it for some reason. But I mean, overall, not remembering a lot of the original color purple and knowing some of the controversy that did surround or, you know, and still did still does to a degree surround that movie. I really enjoyed this movie. That theater was also full as fuck. So many people in that theater, like that's, you know, a week removed and a lot of movies a week removed. That's, that's when the movie's dead. You know, this was a week removed and theater was full. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, were there some elements of this movie, to be fair, that might have been lost on somebody of my particular complexion? Absolutely. But once again, it's perfectly fine. Like, I did not need those elements to enjoy this movie. And also, like I said with Blue Beetle, it's perfectly fine if a movie's not made for somebody like me. That doesn't mean I can't watch it. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. You know, I might enjoy it more if I understood those elements. There might be more of a connection. There might be like more things to connect with with it, but movies very watchable and very enjoyable without those connections. I hate I hate saying enjoyable though, because there are some tough thematic elements in this movie. That I don't want to be like, ah, oh, it's enjoyable. Like with those very tough scenes, like 
it, it feels weird to use that adjective. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a good movie going experience. You get a full wide range of emotional experience with this movie. It's an enjoyable, like it's, like I said, it's just weird considering like you, what, how tough the beginning of this movie is. It's really tough to say the word enjoyable with those scenes, but it's a good movie going experience. It's a good movie watching experience. Uh, recommendations and scores. Yep. Yep. Recommendations and scores. Uh, Justin, go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's going to be a recommend for me. I think if you're a fan of any of these people, if you follow any of these people, this is a good film with a good cast. And I know a lot of people are fans of these people. So I think that um, it's worth seeing just for that alone because you get to see a lot of really good actors and actresses in in their element, doing well, playing off of each other and really enjoying uh, what they were doing artistically with the film. So I think it's good for that reason. And, um, and being that it's a musical probably does lend itself to being a little more, um, what's the word tolerable seems like a weird word, but it might be the right word. I think it makes it a little more tolerable than sitting through like a dramatic movie where you don't have the singing and you don't have the dancing and you just have, it adds a sense of levity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think it adds a little more levity to it. So, um, because that, uh, cause that other movie is, is about is about the length of this one, you know. It's about two and a half, but boy, like I said, it just pours it on and on and on and on with like the abuse, the psychological abuse, and stuff like that. And there were no breaks in that for singing and dancing, like there were in this. You know what I mean? To kind of and this still. Now I'm not saying that the movie would just. Like we would be seeing a horrible scene and then suddenly the characters would just start jumping around and dancing. It's not abrupt in that way. That's one thing I could say about the the music is that when, when the songs needed to convey what the character was feeling about whatever the heavy subject matter was, the song did usually match the mood of what you were supposed to be feeling at the time. So I think that's like the biggest strength of the movie. You know, it it couldn't go as heavy as the original could, but it could at least convey the feelings through the music. So I think that's where it makes up for it Um, to what it couldn't show or what it couldn't, you know, do thematically. Uh. But, but but even still, you know, the music is effective. It looks, it's a great looking film. And I think really when I think about the messages about sisterhood and perseverance and being your own person and um, 
the the value of existing, <laughs> just existing, and, and and you know understanding that, um, you know that there's value even in that, and that, um, and just the fact that. You know, everyone, not everyone is important, but the value of self that 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 people have, despite the way other people see them and things like that, and the importance of holding on to that and holding on to what you know is true to you. You know, I feel like a lot of that, all of those things are in here. So and those are good messages. I mean, and I think that the ending was heartfelt. And I think that those messages do come across. And I do think that this movie does get you to feel something at the end, you know? So all in all, a a job well done. And, and and like I said, when you're making comparisons to the old film, you know, you may like that one more or this one less just based on how you fall on this story and the storytelling. But honestly, I really liked what they did with the characters surrounding this overall. And I, and I think, you know, like you were saying, Sterling with the levity and I think definitely this is a little more inviting to all people. And it still gets those messages across, but does it in a very, inviting way that's easy to absorb um easier to absorb than the original film so with all of that being said um we are going to go with 85 um 85 daniel brooks's laughing at you getting called a sorry ass out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I think that the point you guys make about like the levity of it, maybe that is why I enjoyed this one more than the original because it it is a lot of hard subject matter to take in. And if you can sort of find a beat of hopefulness with the music of it and the the brightness of it, at least and things like that, it does help you to, yeah, I guess inviting is, is a good word for it. You know, it feels like a more inviting film. It feels like something that, you know, you understand the, the severity of what's happening without necessarily having to see it so much, in your face in some ways, you know, and I feel like that can just be hard for people to watch, you know? So this was a good way of sort of incorporating those elements with some beautiful music, you know? Um, And I did actually have to look this up because I wondered if Fantasia wasn't anything else before she was on the Broadway uh, color purple run for like a year, I think. So um, yeah, I didn't realize that until I was looking it up earlier, but which maybe explains why she actually just naturally felt like she did such a good job in the role. Like, and and I think it also speaks to what you said about the, like 
the 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 tone of the songs matching with what's happening because I feel like especially when Fantasia was singing like you just kind of hear these like aches in her singing you know and like you hear the pain behind her voice and stuff like that and I feel like those moments you can really just tell that like yeah you just you feel the pain that she's going through as she's singing some of these songs which is really really a important thing to do with a film like this and yeah I think um yeah, it, it definitely it's it's not a perfect film by any means, and there and it, it would it's hard not to compare if you've seen both, because there are some scenes that I enjoyed a lot more in this film, but then there are some scenes that I think are done better in the original. So, you know, it's it's just one of those, you know, that that's just gonna probably happen with this type of thing. But overall, to like be able to enjoy a movie for what it is even when you're comparing it to the original to just say it's different, but I still like it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a, an accomplishment of itself. So yeah, I think it is a really good story to invest your time in. I think it's an important story. I think it's really well done here in this film. So you don't have to see the original to see this one, but it might also urge you to watch the original one after you see this but yeah I I liked the songs I loved the acting yeah everybody was just really so perfectly cast yeah again like I just feel like there were some really good songs that they did too but they did like maybe like 30 seconds to a minute of a song and then they were done so I'm kind of like I wish those songs would have been longer because they were great and wish you could have just heard a few more of the actor's uh, voices because they all have such wonderful voices that it would have been nice to hear more, but it's, it's hard in a movie like this too, because you have to have your, your main people doing the song. So I get it. But uh, it, in general, it was just a really great, great movie. Like even the opening with the, <laughs> the lady who opened the movie with her song was like so powerful. It was like the perfect way to start the movie, I think. But she really kind of set the tone for what we were in for. Yeah, um, it, everything with it pretty much just worked. And like, I again, like I've just never seen such a perfectly cast movie. Everybody was so great in this film. So, yeah, it's a recommend from me. I think I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go 83. One minute cameos from Whoopi Goldberg because you have to out of a hundred. I recommend it. It's very good as a musical. I like how it's got some mixture of like some of your gospel style songs. It's got a mixture of that and in regular ballads, like your typical musical ballads. And it's also got some really fun jazzy numbers. It's got some fun rhythm and blues numbers, you know, and I've made it very clear. You give me, you give me a fun, slightly dirty blues number there for it. I mean, I talked about it at great length on what is it? The queen and slim episode. You give me a, that dirty blues number. Ooh, sign me up. I'm there. It's one of my favorite things in a movie or a musical or anything for that matter. 
this has one. It's Taraji P. Henson sings it. Ooh, it's great. It's fantastic. There's some there's some undertones to it too. Very saucy. Yeah, when you have Taraji singing it, you're gonna get that. Gave me all kinds of feelings. I loved it. Once again, like I said, super iconic scene with the shaving scene too. Like it's just one of those things. Like, like I said, I I re- I, I remembered that scene, but I never really, I couldn't quite place it in a movie or anything like that. I just knew that scene. And then like the second he gives her that leather strap for like to, to hone the razor instantly. I completely remembered that scene from the original movie, like everything about it and how tense and, and just on the edge of your seat that that scene made you in the first movie or in the original movie. And then like, you have it in this, like it's just all these things came flooding back to me with that. I mean, as far as musicals go, especially, I mean, I know Justin didn't see it and Justin wasn't on that episode, but a, a musical ish thing that we did fairly recently was wish Disney's wish. Not a single fucking memorable song in that entire fucking movie. I'll remember a damn song. These songs stick with you a little more. You know, I would. uh, And I'll say this too. I really want to see the play now. I really want to go see the play. Now. Yeah, me too. That's a good point. Yeah. Because if this is just like, so it's like, it's one of those weird things where it's like a book that got made into a movie that got made into a Broadway musical. Then the, this is not a reboot or a remake of the movie. This is the play. This is a movie version of the play. Like, let's be like very specific about that. This is not a remake of the original movie. This is a cinematic version of the play. And it had a lot of theatrical elements to it in that regard. You know, so shout out to this movie for doing that. It's very much weirdly like the movie Hairspray, where there was like the movie... And then they made it a Broadway musical. And then they made a movie based on the Broadway musical. It's that type of scenario. They're doing that with Mean Girls. And it, I think actually in a week from, or like actually a couple of days from when this movie or when this episode drops is when you, uh, you've got the Mean Girls musical coming out, which is based on the play that is based on the movie. Weird thing that they keep doing that in Hollywood. But Hey, if Mean Girls is, you know, just slightly as competent as this movie is, might not be a bad time. And we've seen, we've seen some plays come to screen and be atrocious. Don't remember one? Go listen to our Cats episode. Just because you're a good play doesn't mean you're a good movie. Also, having never seen the play but seen the movie based on the, the you know, Cats, I'm going to say it's not a good play. Also. Just, I'm going to throw that out there. Old Deuteronomy. Yeah. yeah. Old Deuteronomy might hit different at the play, man. You need to go see the play. See that one just before you watch this one. No, I'm good. I'll just go Double see hit. this. No double header. Now let's just compromise and just see this. Okay. 
What if you got half off the ticket? You're still not going to the double header. Can I pay them full price to not go see it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I feel like that'd be a version of charity. If I just kept buying tickets to cats to prevent just one person from going to be able to see it. I feel like I'd be well, doing my godly duty. Well, apparently that's more charity than what Barefoot Contessa would do. So Barefoot Contessa would be. make a dying kid go watch it. Anyway, good movie. Really good. I'm a little lower than you guys. Not much. Uh, 80. Uh, I mean, 80 iconic shaving scenes out of 100. I got to still go there. It sticks with you. It's like a good bowl of chili in the winter. It sticks to your ribs. I don't know why the fuck I made that reference. That's one of my weakest references. That was weird. Oh, fuck. I typed something wrong because it gave me a score that would be impossible. Uh, Heather split our difference. It was 83. Spoilers? Yep. yep. Spoilers! Uh, I want to start this off. A uh, shout out to the director of this movie, Blitz uh, Bazawule. And yes, I had to watch a YouTube video to make sure I pronounced his last name right. I'm so happy that we essentially got a director of color to do this fucking movie. No offense to Steven Spielberg. Iconic director. You had no business directing The Color Purple. Yeah, that was part of kind of the one of the flaws that people indicated, too, is just that it's just not told through the right lens. And I think one of the best explainers of why that's the case was Denzel Washington, who was being interviewed about the movie Fence that he also was in the play of, but then he was he directed the movie version of it. And somebody asked him like, well, why did he choose to direct it? And he's like, well, you know, cause it kind of needed to be told by a black person. And they're like, but why? And he's like, well, it's, it's not a race thing. It's a cultural thing. He's like, it's the culture behind what this movie is that you need to be able to encapsulate. You need to have lived, you know, and he brought up Steven Spielberg. He was like, Hey, and he brought up Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. He's like, you know, could Martin have Scorsese have directed Schindler's List? Sure. Martin Scorsese is a great director. He could have directed that movie. Would it have hit the same? No, it would not. Could Steven Spielberg had direct? Could Steven Spielberg direct Goodfellas? Sure. He's a good director. He could have directed that movie. Would it have hit the same? No. Because of the cultural elements, those men were able to bring to those cultural stories of the cultures they were. I.e. like why Denzel was a better choice to direct fences than a Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese. I.e. why this director is a better choice to direct this story than Steven Spielberg was. Is A Color Purple, the original movie, 
an excellently made film? Yes, because Steven Spielberg is a good director. Would there maybe have been a better balance of what you talked about, Justin, of maybe the negative impressions of black men? Would that have maybe been better nuanced in the storytelling if a black person directed that movie? Probably. Because that's something that would yeah. concern them, that Steven Spielberg might not be as concerned with. Yeah. And it kind of shows in this film, you know, a perfect example is what happens with this. Yeah. There's more nuance to some of those aspects and some of the cultural aspects of this movie. I mean, and also like those scenes where it, it ties into, like I was saying, where you get some of the African imagery superimposed over a Georgia beach. It helps because you have a director that understands what that imagery means, especially because he was born in fucking Ghana. So he gets that part of it even better. You know, and also why does he get the music part of it so well? He's also a musician. So he's a filmmaker and a musician that's from Ghana that was like, that lives in New York now. So he's able to tie some of these experiences into this film. Because what does he also get? He gets the musical culture too. That is tied into elements of this film. It's not a super big thing, but it's a small little nuanced thing that you get to add to a movie because you're more closely tied to what the experiences in this movie can be and are. So, yeah, you know, like I, I think it, it shows why that is important. Like, you know, uh, there, there's numerous examples as to why, but it's like a, just another example as to why aspects like those things matter when it comes to hiring directors and hiring actors. You know, not to pick on ScarJo, but like things like this are why, like, oh, yeah, it's an actor's job to act doesn't mean they can play whatever role they want. Director's jobs are to direct. Doesn't mean they can direct any movie they want. There are better options sometimes. And I think that this movie is just another fantastic example. Why things like that are important in filmmaking, in, in cinema, in society, in storytelling. I don't know what else to say because I feel like I did a really great job at that. And I feel like if I say anything else, I'm going to fuck up the great job I did. <laughs> like it's only going to go downhill from that. Justin, what are your thoughts? Like, I'll, I'll, I might chime in later, but let me let me go out on a high note on that one. I was impassioned. Um, 
I mean, it, it's just, it's a little difficult to spoil because when, when you're talking about a musical and you're thinking about what happened in the story and you're thinking about like specific scenes and things, sometimes it's hard to explain with the musical and sometimes you just have to see it. And I'm not a good singer. I can't sing any of those parts. So it's just, that's you know, it's, it's. That's a really interesting point that I guess I didn't think of sometimes when we've reviewed musicals in the past. That sometimes. Yeah. The aspect of what makes a scene is the song. So like you can't mm-hmm. spoil the so- the scene really because the song is what makes the scene. But if you're not willing yeah. or able to sing the song, what can you really spoil? Because that's what that's a very interesting point that I don't think we've made before and we've reviewed a few musicals. Yeah, and it just dawned on me because it's like how do I describe this in a way. I mean, I guess really just to go through some of the musical numbers that maybe if I just can speak from which ones I thought were impactful or the ones that I guess impacted me the most, you could argue they were all impactful in some way, but, 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 but there are scenes that just stick with you. Um, whenever Fantasia first get opens up that store and she's singing that song by herself about existing and she's going to make something of herself. And now she's here and she's got a sense of freedom and she is finding. Yeah. That was a great song as she's finding herself and she's motivated and determined to make something of her life. And just the importance of the fact that it's on her now. Not that everything's going to is fixed because I'm in this position, but now it's up to me. I can make something of this and all of it is up to me. I can succeed. I can fail. I'm going to have those good times. I'm going to have those bad times. I can make friends You know, maybe even I may still have some enemies, but at least it's all on me. It's all on me and it's what I do and it's what my life is. It's not anybody else controlling that, manipulating that or trying to um, fix that for me. And I thought that was a great song. I, I just really thought that was... Um, an impactful song. Uh, the the one that you were talking about, Sterling, with Taraji P. Henson, the where it was kind of the blues song that she was singing. That was great, and I loved how everybody was reacting to her, like how all the people were dancing to the song, grooving to the song, how she was reacting to what was happening around her. I I just really enjoyed that scene, the dancing, the look of that place. I mean, that seems like that might be kind of fun. You know, you, you, this sort of docking area, but you've got this club and 
you know, you've got the aesthetic of the water and, but you're going into this place and everybody's like dancing and it's real lively. That seemed like a fun thing. That just seemed fun. And you're like, I wish I could go. You're talking about the one at the house, right? Yes. That's Miss Seeley's blues is the name of that song. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. I really enjoyed that, that one. And just very imaginative with the, like I said, the visuals were just super creative in that scene. And, and Taraji was just killing it, man. Like she just embodied this character, maybe in a way she is like this. You know, I'd like to think that maybe some aspect of her is like this, you know, it just seemed very natural that she was playing this character. And I love the dynamics that she had with Fantasia's character because you could see the admiration that Fantasia had for her in the fact that she seemed so sure of herself. And she saw how Mr. Cott was just head over heels and admired her and stuff like that. And it was interesting because, like... I like how they did the story where you want you like where it, it felt like maybe it started as this jealous thing, but then it sort of became an admiration. And then she saw like because Suge Avery was changing her too. You know, their interactions, that sisterhood, everything that was happening. It was changing her too, and the woman that she was becoming. So I like how that whole relationship formed. You know, it, I like how they sort of it seemed. And even though we, you know, maybe you knew if you've seen the play before or read this book, or you know, maybe you knew where it was going to have to go. But I just like the storytelling dynamic of them seeming like they were going to be at odds, but then it turning into like this real sisterhood and this real friendship and, and, you know, her just making um, a, a genuine friend. And one, and I think that some of the like better, one of the great scenes I think Fantasia had was when she got those letters from her sister. That was some really good acting. Like, just how elated she was to discover those, to read them. I mean, she she just really did a great job in that scene. That That really felt like it mattered. And all of that was with her acting and how she reacted to him and the, the, the going back to him and reading him and everything like that. So I thought that that was another point where she really did some great acting. She, there, there were just a few scenes like that where I thought she really stood out. And then of course that musical number was great. The, the musical number at the end, where everybody was singing and 
around the table. I really like that one too. Yeah, it was really good. That that was nice with with everybody um with everybody there at the end. I thought that that was really powerful. The visuals though, like it's the visuals of that last scene and like I'm even thinking about that scene too when like Celie first really has interaction with Shug. And like it turns into that scene where it's the huge uh, gramophone, right? And there, she's like singing while it's going around. That was amazing. Like just the visuals they do in this movie are so cool. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. Like, yeah, the, the, that was definitely one of those scenes that I think sticks with you. Um, Danielle Brooks, that whole thing, like when she had to go to jail for a little bit for that whole incident with those white people, like, and, and I think this is where she really excelled because the whole movie, she's just this real confident, like, you know, I'm a queen. I'm a tell everybody, you know, I'm, I'm the boss. I'm, you know, I run my life. No man is going to walk over me. That was another great song. The Hell No song. I like that. I like that song. I was yeah, like, was Hell awesome. no. Hell no. Don't, yeah, don't let him run over later, you. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. cool. And the hell, yeah, when they came back with it. Yep. Because we always talk about that. That song continuity. Yeah, Hell No was a badass song. Oh, yeah. So fucking Shoot, I need that one. Shoot, I might need that one on my phone. I like that one. I was sitting there like, yeah, hell no. Yeah, it's one of those empowering anthems. Oh, it's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. The fast and the slower version of it, too, both were so fantastic for different reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the way that they conveyed the different moods or the tones at the different times in the film, that that was great. But yeah, that was another strong scene that she had. But man, when that whole thing happened and she spent that time in jail, she looked so devastated in prison and, and like to be able to convey that a person that spirited their spirit being broken for that bit that she was in there, all of that came across and she wasn't saying shit. It was just all in her face. As a matter of fact, you know, she was so vocal this whole time we met her. And so whenever Fantasia or, or I guess I should say I could say the character name. Celie approaches her and is like, you know, you need to eat something you haven't been eating. And she's just silent. And then she just looks up and her eyes are like. They she was look gone. Late. Yeah, she was just yeah. gone. Like. She was great in that scene, man. Well, isn't like, it amazing how this actress can literally like turn the spark off in her eyes. Yes. And like, like have it, turn it off and then turn it back on in, in a later scene too. Like, and you see it, like you see the spark in her eye ignite mm-hmm. and come back and return. Like all of it, she conveyed all of that. So I can see where y'all are coming from with her. And that's why I said like, 
if somebody were to argue that they that she was the favorite, I could understand because man, she was doing some acting. But it was like some of that layered acting that we were complimenting uh um like how we were complimenting Robert De Niro in um the uh Killers. Yes, in Killers. Um, that that's the kind of stuff she was doing in this and just being able to comp- convey that because we she got over how we knew how that character actually was. We knew how spirited she was, how vocal she was, how confident she was. And when that happens and you see her broken, it really, really is sad because, I mean, Daniel Brooks was just killing it with the acting. But the dinner table scene... Almost lost my headgear there. The the dinner table scene in the original movie is very good. Like, I remember with Whoopi Goldberg and the knife and she's holding it up to Danny Glover and she's like, you know, I'm getting the hell out of here and stuff. You know, it was, it's a good scene. It is. But man, this one, with everybody at the table and then whenever... Yeah, Danielle Brooks suddenly, when, when all of that is being said, and Celia is finally standing up for herself. And whenever, and like you said, Sterling, you see as Celia is standing up for herself, they do these great pan out shots at times. You know, sometimes we're, 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 we're getting the one shot of just a person or a close up of a person, but they would do these pan out shots. And you could just see in, her performance, Sophia, you could, you could, you could see that she was listening to what was happening and absorbing what was happening. And it was almost like you see her almost starting to rise up like the spirit returning as Celia standing up for herself. And the more Celia poured in on Mr., the more her spirit seemed to come back. And then if it was like, and then when she erupted with that laugh, that was like the moment it came back. But the development of that was like awesome. Like in the old scene, like it's it's just a few characters. And, you know, the father saying, you shouldn't let her talk to you like that. And, you know, it, it was a good scene in the old film. But this I loved all the layers this had with everybody else who was at the table, you know. Um, And these are just a lot more colorful actors. So the scene just felt like it was a little more lively in this and enjoyable. But that was a great scene. Like that dinner table scene, I just thought it, it, it was great for so many reasons. But that just really nailed it for me. Like that scene was excellent. And even though they, there were changes from the film. And like I said, I've never, I haven't read the book, so I don't know how close one is to the other. Who knows? But for what they did here with that table scene, it felt just as impactful, even though it wasn't the same thing, you know? And that's something I could say for this movie. Like, yeah, there are similar events to the film, to, to the original film and things like that. But this had a sense, of, it just had a way of doing those scenes. 
and a sense of style. And the actors just had a way of portraying those scenes that just almost make them their own scenes, even though some of them are familiar and you've seen them before. It was just some of, they just tried to add some spice to them here and there, just make them a little different, you know? Um, Kind of like that cooking you were talking about earlier before Sterling, you know, that that's what this movie was good about. And maybe again, with somebody from Africa writing this, maybe that, that have, maybe a lot of it is that the, the spice and the extra flavor and the extra kind of things the that flair. I noticed, yeah. the flair that it had, the attitude that it had probably is wrapped in that too with who directed this. So I'm just now realizing that, but thinking about yeah. it, yeah, it has to be. And, and what I really loved about her performance in that scene though, is like after she erupts into laughter, when she's like, y'all get out of here. I got this. Like, she's just like, now nah, fuck all this. I'm, you know, I'm back now. I, I liked it because there's that full circle moment of like Celie was getting like power from her earlier in the movie. And now she was getting it from Celie standing up for herself. Yeah. Like it reinvigorated her by seeing yeah. this person that she invigorated come back. Oh, it's fucking glorious. I mean, I actually, yeah, for me, too, that was also one of the more emotional parts, too, just because even right before that, when she's back to being herself and she has that moment of like thanking Celie, you know, being like, you were there for me. You came to visit me every day. Like, I just want to thank you because she was kind of saying thank you for like giving me back to me. And like it was such a really sweet moment in the midst of everything that was happening in the chaos of that table scene. But like it, it was so well done because it's hilarious and it's empowering, but it's also emotional. Like they did everything in that one scene that you want them to do in a movie. It was really cool. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm one of those people that's notorious for not really laughing out loud a ton. Like, especially like comedy shows and stuff like that. It's not that I don't think things are funny. I just don't always laugh and Genuinely, I did laugh out loud on that at that scene when she just starts laughing. Like it makes you laugh. Like it is, and it it's one of those things. Yeah. That it just and it, it it shows a great dichotomy too of like it's a very like emotional and powerful scene for Celie, but then it becomes it morphs into a funny scene because of Danielle Brooks' character. Like, but it it doesn't diminish the emotional qualities of what Seeley was doing. And that's really great directing when you can do that, where you can have an emotionally powerful scene shifted into comedy and then shift it back. Like Heather was saying into back into being emotional and it doesn't skip a beat. Neither like none of those elements diminish any of the other elements. They all blend together and just like the characters in that scene empower each other which just shows why this director was such a great choice for this movie. Once again, after even all the other shit I said earlier, just another reason why this director was just almost the perfect choice for doing this movie. And, and the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you go, Heather, but yeah, to the director, even just how 
Africa was depicted and how he depicted the sister over there, he wouldn't, you know, you just get the sense that a white director might have pictured those, might have depicted it being rough over there and the sister having this difficult time and the imagery of the tribal savage and malnourished children and all this guy, you know, you just, you know, if a white director had directed this, what that shit would have looked like when we went over there and saw, or saw through the letters, what, how the sister was living. But I love how just beautiful it was over there. And I love the garb that they had on. You could tell it was all authentic. You know, you know, this director knows what they wear like, and it was never depicted like she was having all this hell and stuff over there because she's in a a foreign, she's in Africa and Celie's over here. I love how it wasn't depicted that way. She had some challenges, but 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 her but that but being in that environment made her her sister stronger too. So I like how that was displayed, and I just feel like in the hands of a, a someone not of color doing it, I just know it would have looked different. I just think it would have been depicted so differently. You know, it would have been like a mid nineteen hundreds version of those commercials, where it's like, oh, for for. The price of a cup of coffee a day, you can, you know, it, it'd be like that. Yeah. 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 For it's, a price of a cup of coffee a day, you can save young, you can save young Marco. He doesn't have, yeah, that shit. It, I just think that, it would have been something or, like that. Or it'd be the tribal savage imagery we've gotten in the past yeah. with this shit. Like it, it, you know, God forbid there's nuance in culture or anything like that. Exactly. But in, in exactly real quick, just to touch on something very specific, you said when it comes to like the wardrobe, especially I like how it was a great mix of authentic and slightly theatrical wardrobe throughout the yeah. movie. And it's just I'm talking about throughout the movie. And it's I, I think it's highlighted very well in, in the, the, the scenes that superimpose Africa. But just in general, like that scene where they're they're going around like her her clothing shop. And all that stuff, even the clothes just hanging there. They they look like authentic clothing, but also they do have that slight theatrical flair to them of it being like like it is a, a film version of a stage play, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. you, there's a lot more flash to things on a, on a Broadway stage because you you your sets can't move. You know what I mean? You, you can't really go different places. You can only do certain things. So you have to add some more visual flair and you typically do it through the clothing. And they do that in this movie, but it's, it's, it's done more subtly because it's a movie. Since you don't have the hindrances of a play, you don't need it as much, but they wanted to pay homage to it because this is the film version of a play. So it's, it's, it's incredibly smart. Once again, it goes back to the fucking directing of this movie to, to hire the people and get the people to do those elements and to incorporate them in your film, like trusting your wardrobe department to do those things. Like the plant, yeah. the, the, like the pants misters wearing at the end of the movie, 
those are fucking stage fans. If you've ever fucking seen some stage fans, it weirdly fucking works though. Yeah. Like it doesn't like when he's buying them, I'm like, what the fuck are those pants doing in this fucking movie? And then you see them on and you're like, okay, mister, I see it. It works. Which also is a great visual representation of the change of his character also. Yes. Which is, yep, which was totally the point, was just to show his journey. And 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 that's what I meant earlier about if you were somebody that thought that maybe Spielberg didn't understand the concerns of how that other movie could be taken as, well, it's kind of, it's a little too anti-black man and it le- or it leans too hev- so heavily on that, it might give someone that impression. I like that this was definitely more balanced in that way. This, you know, even, even Mr. kind of had an arc where he became a better person. This experience, this thing that happened, you know, he didn't completely redeem himself, but he started the path to get there. And that's, he did change a little bit and he started the path to get there, you know? So I think that's what makes this another thing that makes this movie like more meaningful than the original. I'm so sorry, Heather, but Justin just made me think of something. So I'm so sorry. It's going to be one more second. That's another thing that a lot of writers and directors don't realize your characters don't have to have a full redemption arc. You can have, yeah. you can show the beginning of it. You can just show and then imply the redemption arc is happening off screen after the movie. Exactly. Everything wasn't fixed. He didn't atone for everything he did to that woman, but, but he started it, but he started it. That's it. And if you're, that, that, that's all you needed. And if you're a compelling enough writer and director, the showing the beginning, if you do it well enough, it is a strong enough implication that their character has grown and changed that you don't have to show the rest because you feel like they will stay on that path if you do it right. Yes. And it also felt like something that could be realistic you know, Seely doesn't need to forgive him and then marry him. And then now they have an actual marriage or anything. Not, not all of that didn't need to happen. Like, and that's not the expectation, right? Like he helped, he got the, he, he played a part in getting the sister um, and, and reuniting Seely with her sister. So he did that. And that was great. And the hope is, is that they can, be friends and he can be a part of this great community of people and contribute to it and everything like that. But you know, you don't need to see, Oh, could they fall in love or anything like that? You didn't even feel like that was necessary or that that was even going to happen or needed to happen. You know, you just felt the beginning of him. Um, you felt like it would help Changing. this would this would help him change and become a better person. But that doesn't necessarily mean now he's going to get this deep like relationship with Celia or anything like that. You knew that ship had passed. It was mature enough to say that ship is passed, but they can have something different now. 
well, that could be better for him, you know? And doing right by her doesn't mean becoming the man that she wants to marry. Doing right by her is I contributed to you being torn away from your sister. So I'll help bring your sister back. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah. We don't need anything else. We don't need them looking at each other with starry eyes at the end. We don't need any of those like unrealistic things that I think sometimes a movie thinks you need for closure. Didn't need any of that shit. Yeah. So in in the looks they had at each other were in her, her clothing shop. And all it was is, Oh, maybe he's not a complete shit bag of a human being anymore. Yeah. Maybe I can stand to be around him and interact with him as just people in the community. And I won't look at him with violent disgust. Yes. That's fair. Especially after the relationship they had with each other, him doing the, the changes to get to that point. That's, that's some redemption. You know, like, and that's fair. That's good. That's all you need. And I, I like the point you brought up, Justin. You don't have to have them longingly looking into each other's eyes like, man, man, mister, if you keep this up for another year, we's going to get married again. It's going to be all better. No, fuck that. Because also, she doesn't need to marry a man. She's empowered nope. on her own now. Exactly. But she can have a, a man in her life as a friend, as a member of the community that she is a part of also that, you know, that you rely on, on a community level. That's fine. That's fine. Perfectly fine. I'm so sorry, Heather. You're good. Next movie. I'll let you go first after, after recommendations and scores, you can start spoilers because It's just been so long since you've gotten to contribute, and I'm so sorry. It's all good. Were you done with your thought? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. This was me <laughs> transitioning to you because I'm the, the king of transitions. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of worried that I'm losing it because you didn't – or maybe my transition was so subtle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the subtlety of it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean – yeah, it's just, I mean, a lot of what you guys said is I feel the exact same way about like one thing that I did want to touch on that I specifically enjoyed in this movie was the relationship between Sophia and Harpo because that was like just really fun to watch, especially at the beginning, you know, like when they're they're first in love and all these things and like it's when you're first starting to see Sophia and like how she's just this very strong personality and takes care of herself and basically she's the one that's kind of like giving the orders in the house so to speak opposed to like the guy who typically does it and like the fact that Harpo loved that but hated it at the same time like it was just a really fun dynamic but then you kind of see that like even though she's like that and she's stubborn and she never wants to listen to him he's just like I just still love you anyway and that's probably why I love you and it was just really cute I don't know I just really enjoyed their dynamic together and like how she was just like, cool, I love you, but I'm not putting up with you being the way you're being right now. So I'm done. And then for them to be able to, 
I think at the end they were back together, right? Like for them to be back together at the end of it. I don't know if they ever actually get back together in this. It okay. almost might I be the same I'm... thing. That, like... Okay. Which is also fine if that's true. You know, I don't know why I thought I saw her kiss him at the end. Like when they were in the bar, I thought that she walked up to him and she was like kissing him, but I could be mistaken. If that happened, unfortunately, I don't remember. Man, I am trying to remember because, because the woman he, he was with, she left and went with, with uh, yeah, she went with Suge and Seely. Squeak. Yes. And they had, they, they, I, I do remember her having some moments with Harpo. Oh, but I'm trying. I don't. I'm not remembering the a kiss though. But 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 you could be right. Maybe they did get back together. Well, just because Maybe I remember, did. like she was, she walked up to him, and then they were talking about like how drunk his dad was when he was in the bar. She's like, "You can take care of that. <laughs> you need to go talk to your dad." And like, I don't know why I thought for a moment like they, um, they kiss, but I could just be like having hope it, having hoped that happened. <laughs> So could be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. I'm looking up on Google if I made that up, but um, yeah, it says Harpo and Sophia get back together eventually. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just liked their dynamic and their relationship because it was fun, but it was also like, just you know they're they're both kind of learning some things especially harbo and the fact that his character in general just like because of how he was raised like it's just kind of unheard of to be with somebody who wouldn't just want to listen to everything you say and be in line with everything you think and but at the same time the fact that he also didn't really want that for himself you know like just finding out that he's like no, I don't want to be like that, you know? And I thought that was kind of a cool development for him. It's a little bit more of a subtle development, but it's still there. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm going to build a house for me, my wife right here. And like just the things that he wanted to do for her because he did love her in spite of how, you know, stubborn that he might've thought she was. So I just thought that was really a great relationship to watch develop on screen. And yeah, I think Taraji P. Henson just sort of fills up every bit of space when she's on screen. She's just that person every time I've seen her. I've never not seen her do that in anything I've seen her in. And I love it because she's, I mean, you just believe it. Like you feel she, like probably. She did that. What that movie that was like the sequel to what women want, like the what men want movie. Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch it. But I was damn close to watching it just because she was in it. <laughs> just because of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, I still didn't do she it. She does but like have I said, that presence about her. Yeah. If I, like if I was going to watch that movie, it would have been just for her. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. she's She is one of those people that you're just like, if you know she's in it, it's probably at least if the movie's not good, her performance is going to be stellar because she just always brings it like like I was saying earlier she's in like one episode of that show Abbott Elementary and she plays the main character's mom but she is just like 
owning every scene that she is for just one episode. Like (laughs) she's in it for maybe a total of eight minutes. Like she just devours every bit of everything in that. Like that's just her dynamic that she has. Like I just, I would, I would find it very difficult to believe that she's just not the most confident person in the entire world in real life. Like she just exudes that and she should, she's beautiful and she's talented and I just love her. So I completely get that. Um, and, but I also loved like the costumes, especially her outfits and her, like when she was doing her numbers and things like that. Like, and, and I also liked that relationship story between her and her dad, like, that was a like minor story in this, but it was really kind of a beautiful story. And like how just also the thing of everybody loves her, everybody's taken by her and just drawn to her, but her own dad wants nothing to do with her and just how much that affected her. And the only moments of vulnerability or insecurity that she showed is when she was with her dad. And I just thought that was a really beautiful side story because you do get to see it sort of wrap up in a way of like again you don't get to see them like oh we have the most amazing relationship ever but you see the beginnings of like the healing and the growing in their relationship the same way that you do with uh Seely and Mr you know so it's it's just really like even just the little more minor relationships in this movie are just done really well and I really appreciate that about about this film. Like, you're right. Like, this director nailed it. And I want to say it's got to be his first, like, feature-length film, right? I think. Um, I know he did that Beyonce video, Black is King. And then he did, I think, a couple of episodes of some show that I can't remember the name of. But, like, I just think that this is his first big-time movie that he's done. Big-time, maybe. He did a movie called The Burial of Kojo. Okay, okay. Which is an hour and 20 minutes. It's technically a feature length. Okay, okay. Outside of that, it was a couple of shorts. Yeah. Like, this is just going to... It has to put this guy on the map. Like, he's just so good. Um, Just the carefulness and thoughtfulness that was put into everything from the colors and the way the scenes are shot and the things that he focuses on in the movies and in the scenes, like... It's all so well done. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I know that we've talked at length about Danielle Brooks, but I just, I can't not say it again <laughs> because she's just like, and, and and it's funny too to think about, like, I, I haven't seen her in a ton of other stuff. Like, I want to say the first thing I saw her in was Peacemaker, like just watching her be that character that she is in Peacemaker and to go from that character to this character, you're just like this, this woman has so much range. It's actually insane. And I just need her to be in all of the things now, you know, I need her and I need Lily Gladstone to just be in all the movies all the time. Just needs to happen. But yeah, I, I just, I feel like, it was important to like portray these characters, especially the female characters in this movie as they did have minds of their own, you know, and they, they had their own power. They just needed to realize their own power. And like, you even see that while, yeah, from some perspective of just the normal everyday way of living back then, it was like 
no, this is what the woman does. This is how she is. But then you see when it is like somebody like Suge or somebody like Sophia, when they don't fit the mold, when they don't follow the rules of what is expected, everybody loves them. Everybody's so drawn to them. Everybody respects them for the most part, you know? And so you just feel like that's kind of a good lesson to be like, cool, like be confident and be who you are and do what you want to do. And look how people will be drawn to you. Even if you think that it's going against everything they stand for, people are drawn to it, you know, like even thinking about just how very differently Mr. acted when Suge was there, like he was the one doing the cooking and trying to do the, you know, all the chores and the whatever to please Suge. Like that's just not something that he has probably ever done for anyone else. You know, so it's just kind of realizing that when you are actually that powerful, confident type of personality, it it makes people like respect you more, at least in the context of this movie, it does. And I just thought that was a really cool like thing to really show in this movie. And yeah, I think um, I think that Hell No song was probably the best song of the of the movie. <laughs> But I also really, I don't even remember the name of it. The one that Harpo sang for like a minute, like when he's building the house was such a good song, but it's like a minute long. And I'm like, man, we needed more of that song. And then, yeah, the big ballads. I mean, I was waiting for that, though. Like knowing Fantasia was singing it, I was waiting for the big numbers. Like I was just waiting for him. So, yeah, I think. um, Yeah, just that song was called Working working okay yeah and just I don't know just everything visually that they show like not only do the songs fit the tone of how you should feel the visuals do too you know like I again reference that very ending scene where they're all gathered around the tree and they're having a meal and they're holding hands and singing and like the brightness of that scene and everybody's wearing white and everybody's just getting along and like the warmth that you're feeling from how they shot that scene, like the specific scenes that you're in give you that vibe. Like, and even the scenes when Sophia is in, in jail, it's so dark and gray and like gloomy looking. And it just, every scene sets the tone for how you should feel in that scene. And he just does that so well here, but Yeah, I mean, there's just, I mean, I don't know what more to say other than just, like, also these characters felt so lived in. They felt like the actual people. I didn't feel like anybody was just acting. I felt like they were real people, you know, and I think that's great with a story like this. You have to have that. So, yeah, it's just across the board, powerful performances and songs and just a really well-made movie. I really agree. Really is a very well-made movie. We don't always get those. We don't. Especially if it's a remake or like a, you know, adaptation of something. (laughs) Looking at you cats. (laughs) Yes. You were garbage. I mean, we do get to look forward to another one of these this year. A couple more. We got Mean Girls, the musical, and we do have uh, Wicked. Coming out around Thanksgiving. So 
We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how well they do it. I am excited to see how the Mean Girls one turns out, but I do feel like it could just be me, but I feel like it's going to be like hard shoes to fill to make the this one better just because I don't know. I feel like they did the movie so well, but it's also a little bit dated if I'm honest. So hopefully this one's not correct. I mean, I'm kind of a traitor to my generation. I don't love mean girls. I'm fine with mean girls. It's fine. I don't love Mean Girls, though. What's wrong with you? I mean, it's fine that I've seen it, but I don't ever care if I see it ever again. You know how when everybody's like, oh, it's Mean Girls Day, and it's like, I remember when when Bob asked me what day it was, and it was March 29th or whatever. October 3rd, yeah. Sure. Whatever. I was just seeing those memes literally a few months ago. That's why I remember that. Sure, whatever. But outside, of, I don't give a fuck. Like, it's okay, sure. I just don't love Mean Girls. I'm not mad. Fine. I'm not mad I watched it, but I also, like I said, don't give a fuck if I never watch it again. I think and that So maybe is, you will like this more because it's got music. Maybe. I'm just saying, like, I give zero fucks about Mean Girls. We'll see. Well, I mean, you don't have to just say it on the mountaintop. You could have just kept that to yourself. Nah. I stand behind what I say. If you can't say something nice, you know, that's what my third grade teacher always told me. You can't say something nice, then. Do you remember? Don't say anything about Mean Girls. Do you remember what your third grade teacher's name was? Mrs. Schultz. Mrs. Schultz? Fuck you, Mrs. Schultz. That's what I have to say to that. I saw her the other day. I'm sure she's a lovely woman, but fuck her. She is. And she remembered who I was all those years later, which is remarkable. You I know? just feel like that's Maybe, a maybe that's a teacher thing. Maybe that's a teacher thing. Maybe they just don't forget a lot of faces, but I think I was at the, I was at the hospital just stopping in there to, to grab something. And she walks by and she goes, is that you? Justin knew my name and everything. Hadn't seen me in years. And I'm like, I know I don't look the same. Justin, I need to see you know a picture of me? you as a child. <laughs> I want to see how much you look like your child. Cause not a child, Justin. Not a damn one of my teachers would ever recognize me now, especially if it was. You for don't me as think a kid. so? Fuck no, dude. I, a, I you know, contrary to popular belief, I was not running around first grade with a beard. But also, I had fucking long blonde hair. True. You know, like, I mean, Justin, you're one of the few people I am still in communication with outside of family that legitimately knew me when I had hair. And you only knew me for like huh. a handful of months before I shaved my head. Yeah. Cause I think we met in December of 2002. 
Yes. Would have been December 2002 because it was after I started at the theater. And I shaved my head in March of uh, 2003. So, yeah, like you because you worked there Christmas break. So, yeah, I had for a couple of months and then, bam, shaved my head. So I do you even. So you've officially had a bald head for 20. Oh, yeah. Years. I, I, I've been bald longer than I had hair. At this point in my life. And I granted, I shaved my head when I was 17. So, you know, yeah. Oh, God, it's been about 21 years since I shaved my head. It'll be 21 years this March, I should say. Uh, If my bald head can legally drink this year, that's nice. I mean, yeah, I guess it would be tough for a teacher to recognize somebody, you at this point. But but still. I, I thought it was amazing that she knew that it was me and got the name right and everything. Just, I was like, wow. Did you, know? you remember her name at the time or were you reminded yeah. who she was? Okay. Yeah. And you go, and, and it's weird because y- you go back to being a kid again. I was like, Mrs. Schultz, you know, like I was a little boy. All right. You know, I don't do this often. <laughs> I'll retract my fuck you, Mrs. Schultz. I re- I officially retract it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, maybe, I kinda deserved, maybe I kind of deserved it for shunning your opinion on Mean Girls, but still, you know. Miss Schultz didn't deserve it, but I just you know. yeah. I was taking I, just, I was taking out the hostility I had towards your reaction towards my take on Mean Girls out on Mrs. Schultz, and that's not fair to her. It's not. And I was just feeling a little attacked today. You know, you attacked Megan. Now you're yes. attacking Mean Girls. I just don't understand. You I didn't right even now. attack Mean Girls. I just said I don't give a fuck about it. That's all I said. I didn't even say anything bad like about it other than I, I don't just like don't that kind of language. I don't like that kind of language towards Mean Justin, Girls, though. Justin. There is no other language I could ever use. It's just the language, Starlet. The language. Okay, I still don't give a fuck. If I was looking at Mean Girls right now, I'd go, Mean Girls, I just don't give a fuck. Could you say it's not my cup of tea, you know? I could just say I don't give a fuck. It works the same. Because I don't even know if it is or isn't my cup of tea. I don't even think it is a cup of tea. I think it is a glass of root beer. But it had Lindsay Lohan. I don't give, I give no fucks about Lindsay Lohan. I wish her the best. I hope, you know, whatever issues she had, she's, you know, seeking help and pass those. Outside that, don't give a fuck. I don't hate her. I don't like her. I'm very simple. I guess it's probably, that might be just how you feel about all the people in that movie. Rachel McAdams, you're probably indifferent on. Yeah, kind of, pretty much. Tina Fey. Pretty much. You know. All right. I do like Tim well, Meadows. No love no love for Tina Fey? Yeah. I like Tina Fey a lot. Tim Meadows is great. I love L- Tim Meadows. Lizzie, Lizzie Kaplan is pretty cool, too. I like her. Lizzie Kaplan, I do like. I do like Lizzie yeah. Kaplan. Um, 
what's her name? Eliza Cuthbert. Is that who that is? Yeah. Um, Amanda Seyfried. Um, is that who you're thinking of? No, no, no. The other friend, Gretchen. Oh, oh, I forgot her name actually. Maybe. Cause she kept trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried. I forgot that she was also, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Cause deal. she was the other girl in that. Um, Underrated character. Karen Lacey. Gray. Uh, Chabert. Yeah. Okay. I know who you're talking about. Cause Eliza Cuthbert is a, another yes. actress, but yeah. But I do love her. I do love Lacey. She was in that very terrible remake of uh, Lost in Space back in the late 90s. <laughs> nice. And I was in love with her in that. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure she does like Hallmark movies now or something. Yes, she does. The only thing that can make me watch a Hallmark movie. <laughs> oh, I don't even think these are Wal or Hallmark. Okay, that is a Hallmark movie. Because I I do think that she's also made some of those like hyper Christian Christmas movies too. Like that are like, oh no, Christmas is under attack. We gotta save it, type of thing. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Christmas is under attack. You, you know she an that elf in this shit. movie? Yeah. No, no, it's not even that. It's it's that whole <laughs> Christmas is under attack because the big businessman wants to get rid of the Christmas tree farm. And if we don't have a Christmas tree farm, how will anybody know Jesus is, was born today? And they have to like <laughs> go to a church to save the Christmas tree farm or some shit. It sounds exactly like a Hallmark Christmas. Christian movie. Yes. Christmas yes. is under sea. <laughs> it's war on Christmas guys. Come on. The war on Christmas. Oh no. War. Also, <laughs> oh man! To all the people that think there's a war on Christmas, where are the sign-up sheets for that? Because if anybody that wants to go to war with Christmas, it's my ass. <laughs> you do hate Christmas more why, than anyone else. Why I've have I met. not been drafted <sighs> into the anti-Christmas to army? be the general of this war? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who better to lead that army than my ass? I hate Christmas. You, you have a personal vendetta on, against Frosty, too, I think. So, you know. See, and what's Fuck that about? snowman. What's that about? What's that about, man? Guy had a pipe and a hat. Okay. Like, I, I mean, I'm pretty so, sure. I think. I'm pretty sure that there's, there's some terrible people out there. I'm pretty sure Jack the Ripper smoked a pipe and had a hat, Justin. <laughs> Damn, you had to go all jack on me and, well, and I stuff. had to think of look like a serial killer that I could play the you know the odds with that wore a hat because everyone wore a hat back then <laughs> and everybody smoked a pipe back then so the odds are in my favor that's all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, look, come and, back and from and that. You Justin. don't want to come back from, <laughs> from Jack the Ripper and Frosty the Snowman are practically the same. Yeah, I hate that you have done this. I hate that you have done this, but if you're a He's general, he's officially that started army, the war on Christmas. I know. That, yeah, he has started the war, and I don't like it because then what is going to happen to all the Christmas songs? I don't want those omitted. Justin, and you would you would take them away if you were the super general, Justin. 
Would you say something you would love to see in your lifetime is world peace? Yes. Help me achieve it. Get rid of Christmas songs. They are the one thing holding society back from world peace. I, I can't agree with that. All right, Justin, just say you like you like the war on peace. Just say just say you like you like people dying in war. Just say that. But you don't like man, come on, Stoli. I know you don't like the you don't like those bells keep ring ding dingling? No. I don't. You know what those bells need to do? Shut the fuck up. People are probably trying to sleep. They are being rude. But they're jingle bells, not shut the fuck up bells. They need they exactly jingle. that's the problem. They jingle. That's the problem, Justin. They jingle when they should be shut the fuck up bells. You identified the problem. But they add to the experience of riding in a one-horse open sleigh. Justin, when was the last time you did that? Not ever. Exactly. But the song makes you feel like you have. (laughs) Yeah, the song, it makes me feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm there on a one-horse open sleigh. All right, Justin. And I like how it makes me feel. All right. Next time you come up to Chicago, come in December. There's a place up here that's called like Santaville or whatever. And it's just a bunch of Christmas shit. I bet they do sleigh ride things there. Come in December when it's all cold as shit. Get in that fucking sleigh and ride around and see how you like it. And then afterwards, when you're trying to go to sleep at night, I'm going to fucking just ring some jingle bells in your fucking face. And you're going to wish they were shut the fuck up bells. And do the same thing with the, what is it we said the little drummer boy oh, did? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get made, a drum made and baby just set Jesus it up next to your face and go, <laughs> right next to your stupid little I love Christmas face. We're going to see how much you think that that drummer boy was doing a damn thing that a baby needed. But the drummer boy is a banger. Yeah, that's the problem. You know what you don't need to do next to a baby? Fucking play a drum. Well, we discussed this. He has this kind of super hearing where it doesn't affect him. Justin, that's not super hearing. (laughs) We went over that too. That is by definition not super hearing. I mean, he has invulnerable hearing. I don't know what Justin, you call it. Heather, do, help me. Do you I'm know drowning you, here. Do, do you know what it is, Justin? Help that me. baby Get went deaf because a fucking kid was banging a drum next to its little baby eardrums. The baby's now deaf. That's why it's not affecting him. His eardrums have ruptured. Well, he was the son of God, so isn't there like a God mode where it doesn't affect you? Justin. Like it wouldn't affect him. Jesus was a baby. He wasn't sitting there putting in fucking cheat codes. And I hate to break it to you. Jesus was not invulnerable. Just ask the Romans. Oh, man. But that was part of the plan. But when you're a baby, maybe it's kind of like Benjamin Button. As you grow old, you get less invulnerable. No, Justin. Heather, help. 
I'm still stuck on the comparison to like a Jesus Benjamin Button situation. <laughs> sorry, but just I'm sorry we're here. But just with his godlike invulnerability, nothing else. He aged like normal, got less godlike though. I don't think many Christians are going to join you with that, Justin. That Jesus got more, less godlike as he got older. <laughs> It's so hard. You just gotta let let me live, Star. Let me have my Christmas songs. See, let me have my Megan. Let me have my Mean Girls band, and just ring jing jingle on out of here. The shit you said, I didn't even want to take away from you. So I don't know why you're acting like that. <laughs> you I hate like everything. Goes, I'm sorry, we're here. <laughs> you hate everything. You hate the chestnuts on an open fire. Yes. You don't like anything. You don't Justin, like sleigh rides. When was the last you time like you Rudolph. ate just a fucking roasted chestnut? <laughs> Man, I ain't ate that shit, but it sounds tasty. I'm just saying. Justin. It sounds no like a tasty way to eat a chestnut. Justin, the problem is, is I don't think there, there's a human being alive that has ever eaten a roasted chestnut. <laughs> if you listen to a Christmas song, it makes it sound like chestnuts are just a Christmas delicacy. And I've, ne- I've never even seen a fucking chestnut, let alone seen one on an open <laughs> fire being roasted for other people to come eat. <laughs> I don't it even actually think wonderful though. I don't even think chestnuts guy, are a real thing. It sounds so fantastic. The guy's singing and he's talking about it, and you just imagine you're there and I, I want one of the nuts. I just I just want one, Sterling, and you can't make me not want them. You just can't. Chestnut, I don't have to make you not want them because they don't exist. You can't actually have them. That just means the Christmas songs are lying to you, Justin. I'm being the true friend and telling you the truth. They lie to you. They deceive you. They open you up to a world that does not exist. I just want what I can't have, Sterling, like a white Christmas. I'd like to have a white Christmas. Come up here in December. I'm offering you a white Christmas, motherfucker. You can come up here. Like about once every three years, we have a white Christmas. Maybe that's what it is. You're just spoiled, man. You can do. You can have the sleigh anytime. You can have your white Christmas. You can eat the nuts. Maybe you just get it all. And I'm Justin, just over here. I can't I eat the nuts. Chestnuts it. aren't real. They're not. I don't. Like I said, have you ever seen one? Have you even ever seen an unroasted chestnut? Let alone a a, a roasted one. Have you even seen an unroasted chestnut? No, they don't exist. In in my head, I like to imagine it's tasty, though. Like, it's pretty big. It's a good, you know, you get a good portion, and it's fun to eat. To me, it sounds like they're just using chestnut wood logs on an open fire. And they're calling them chestnut. Because it doesn't say anything about eating them. It just talks about some wood, uh, just talk about some shit on a fire. Heather, look it up. Are chestnuts real? Were they talking about logs the whole time? And I was thinking it was nuts. <laughs> Chestnuts are a real nut. Okay, there you go, Justin. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, um, oh hold thank on. goodness. But it is, I think it is also a tree. Hold on. Yes, it is. It is. It is a type of yeah. wood. But it is probably just the wood of the chestnut tree. That's all it is. Yeah. That's fair. 
<laughs> but also, does it also say in whatever you're looking at, Heather, that like the last chestnut that was roasted on an open fire was eaten in 1942? <laughs> you know what? No it, one does not, does it. it does not say. I am not getting that information. <laughs> I'm just saying, Justin, if you listen to the mm-hmm. lies that are fed to you by these songs, families be roasting chestnuts all over the place. And I have lived right. in like five different states. And I've never seen a single family in any of these states ever eat a chestnut, let alone roast one. You're right. Like, why is that not a thing? I'm going to start calling people and asking, why, why did we stop roasting just, the chestnut? Just when it went around Christmas, do you got a fireplace or access to a fireplace? Access to one. All right. Next Christmas, order just some raw chestnuts on Amazon. And go roast them over an open fire. Just yourself. Just toss them right in. Just see that open fire and go, man, I've got the perfect thing for this open fire. Just throw some chestnuts in there. I could play the song. I didn't say do that. (laughs) No, we we must. We will do that. We must love. I think we have different definitions of the word must. Oh, man. There's no Christmas song that must be played. Oh. I don't know. Heather is looking at us so disappointingly. Yeah, because we, we can't, because why are we here? Yeah, why are we here, Justin? Just in general, why are we here, guys? <laughs> yeah, why are we See, the thing exist? is, Justin, you know the difference between you and me and how I know my passion and my hatred for anti-Christmas is so much stronger than your love of Christmas. You have to try to defend Christmas. I don't got to try shit on my side. I ain't trying. This is just the truth spilling out from my soul. I am just a conduit. For the truth about Christmas. And you got to come up with these stories and these fallacies and these, these arguments on behalf of Christmas. You got to try. I just do. But my imagination is not a fallacy necessarily. I just, you know, I just get, I hear the songs and I go, oh, that'd be nice. Well, your imagination. A winter wonderland would be nice. It's not. It's really not. A shit walking in a winter wonderland. Also, not actually. That almost might be nice. I really do like the cold. It's like a solid forty-five degrees in my basement right now, and I feel really good. Got my short sleeves, getting to feel that brisk air. I do like that. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like, what's wrong with walking in a winter wonderland? You know. Justin, conspiring by the fire and, you know, build a snowman name. What are they conspiring about? Who are they trying to kill? What crimes are they trying to commit? I did not know. I did not know that there were songs about committing crimes for Christmas. It just rhymes with fire, Sterling. They're just thinking happy thoughts. Just happy. Is that really the lyric of that song? Yeah. Later on. I'm pretty sure. We'll conspire. We'll conspire. Yeah. As we dream. By the fire. By yeah. the fire. But was he dream by the fire? Afraid. 
the plans that we made. Are they going to sleep Walking next to an open fireplace? That's dangerous. This is a... And they teach these songs to children? They're saying, hey, kids, it's Christmas time. Go sleep next to an open fireplace and conspire and commit crimes? Those are dangerous and bad things to do. We must end Christmas now for the children. Because your priority is always the children. (laughs) Unlike Barefoot Contessa. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that in. I mean, that's my nickname, Sterling for the Children's Condre. The lyric is, later on we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in a winter wonderland. What plans are they making that they have to worry about being afraid of them? What are these horrendous souls doing? It's just about Christmas love. That's it. Justin, why would you be afraid of Christmas love plans? They're unafraid, Sterling. They're unafraid to profess they, they their love for Christmas. They have to dream to be unafraid, though, Justin. They have to take an action to become unafraid of their plans of Christmas love, according to you. But the world is a scary place, Sterling. But when you can walk in a winter wonderland and think about Christmas, it, everything's okay. And then you can face those things unafraid. But that's not what the song says, Justin. It's so they can face unafraid the plans that they made, that they were conspiring. They are but going they to commit a terrorist to, attack. They were afraid to embark on those plans. They were a little timid, okay? They were a little scared. Yeah. But in a winter was, wonderland, they were they gonna can go be commit like, terrorist actions. And they were afraid for being terrorists. And they were like, never mind, guys. We dreamt about it next to this fire. Let's go commit our terrorism now. I mean, I don't think so, Sterling. I just think they it, the plans could be to make cookies for Santa. Why the fuck I mean, would you be afraid just, to make cookies for Santa? Unless you were afraid of Santa. Is there something I need to know about Santa, Justin? We can be a little scary. You know, he's got yeah. a huge frame. And he, he says ho wants, ho a lot and stuff. And he got wants that kids big sitting beard. on his lap. He's a very creepy individual. You know, got, he comes down chimney. He's got but, red rosy cheeks like an alcoholic. I get it. But, you know, you make cookies. You and he spies right. on you. He's a voyeur. I think we need to put Santa in jail. To save the children. You are the general. I am. And I am here to do the righteous work of ending Christmas. For the love of God, guys, this is now a three-hour episode. We spent an hour at the beginning just talking bullshit about this other stuff. And we've spent like the last 25 minutes talking about this bullshit. I haven't even said the outro yet. Again, a really like a perfect segue. (laughs) Yes, perfect. Couldn't be more perfect. On that note. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet. 
www.cinemaslayers.com. We are Cinema Slayers Podcast on Facebook, Cinema underscore Slayers on Instagram and Threads. We're Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok and YouTube. Give us a five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your family's friends, and tell your friends' family. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love Taraji P. Henson or Danielle Brooks. And Danielle Brooks. My bad. I have to say both. You're right. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Remember, here at the Cinema Slash Podcast, we are both pro slut, pro Sydney, and pro naked. Remember, you are Knuff. Yes, you, Cinefan out there, you are Knuff. And justice for Chris. And as I was in these TikToks, these podcasts, and the YouTube videos, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. And don't forget to watch something with Bokeem Woodbine and William Fitchner. Somebody will listen to me. That was a weird one, Justin. I was really kind of surprised that you brought him into this. Cinema Slayers. Today. Why? That's, that was a weird actor to bring into it. Well, I said he was a go. He's got, he's got, should have known he was. He's good. got a very memorable face, though. Yeah. And he was in just a movie I just watched, too. Oh, he's in Virtuosity. Yep. And what is it, Bat or the Dark Knight? Uh, or not the Dark Knight, the Batman Returns. Yes. Ninja Turtles. You know what I'm surprised, or someone I'm surprised you haven't brought up yet, Justin? Beloved character Ooh. actor Stephen Weber. Hmm. I love me some Stephen Weber. Okay. I've loved yep, him since another one. the days of Wings. Loved me some Wings as a kid. I don't know why, but I loved me some wings as a kid. And he looks so distinguished now. Now he's got like a little bit of a beard. So distinguished. Fuck Christmas. I'm out.